Um, yeah, I'm really excited about uh, <laughs> about this group today. Um, we're going to be talking about uh, synths and everything we can uh, we can we can we can get our. Uh, wait a minute, I've got a weird feedback. Is anybody having this? No. no. Oh shit! Something is. I'm starting the the video. Anyway, um, let's welcome the guests. Um, First of all, welcome to the show, Alessandro, joining us from Portugal, right? Portugal, yes. Thank you so much for having me. It's good to be here. Yeah, good to have you on. And um, drum cell Mo is uh, here with us, uh, joining us from Los Angeles. Hey. What's up, man? Man, just hanging in there another day, man. Surviving the <laughs> pandemic. Looking good. I try. Um, yeah, I mean, um, you've got a new camera. Looks like you've got a new camera since uh, last time you were joining. Yeah, no, no more of those Mac um, <laughs> cameras. No, I'm using a GoPro now. It's been it's been working quite nice for me. Nice one. You, you're making me look like an amateur. <laughs> no, no, of course, never. <laughs> um, I like the beard. Yeah, it's going all white, man. Look at this. I like it. Mm. I'm aging. <laughs> I was going to say oh. you look younger. Yeah, oh, come on, man. Maybe that's the camera. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, Tony Rolando talking there. Hey, Tony, what's up? Hello. Nice, nice to have you on, man. It's good to be here. Yeah, uh, and you're you're joining us from um, Asheville, North Carolina. Asheville, that's right. Okay, cool. Beautiful nice one. City. Okay. Um, yeah, I see friends dropping in saying hi. Um, I can imagine with uh, this group, uh, there's going to be people who are interested in uh, asking any of us questions and you can do so by making comments in the in the chat on YouTube and uh, and Twitch and uh, I hope we can bring them in usually we try to but sometimes we ignore them just because we're just chatting away and uh, having, having fun but having a good time sure indeed yeah <laughs> Um, so, um, yeah, welcome everybody. Let's, um, I think we should really go straight into the, the Strega guys, because, uh, it's an extraordinary piece of kit. Um, I checked out some of the, the YouTube videos and, um, it looks like a really playful, um, little box, you know, with a really nice balance between, um, you know, uh, having some control over it and kind of know what it's going to do, plus an element of surprise and, and um, uh, unpredictability. Is that something you um, you try to uh, get into its features? Is, is that is that basically the concept of uh, of the instrument? This combination, I mean. Well, I personally. You know, when this started, this collaboration with Tony started, um, or even before then, and the instruments that I was more attracted to had always an element of uh, independence or, or, or ability to be almost um, companions, creative companions, in the sense that there, there were less instruments that were just manifesting whatever you had in mind as an artist. Like in, I've never been the kind of artist or musician or creator, whatever you want to call it, that, that has a, a concept in mind and then the tool allows you to, to manifest it. So you just have to give me a tool that allows to do that. To me, it's more about I need to be, you know, tickled and then and that creates something and then the machine makes a move and I make another move. And 
you know, so when we got together, I mean, T Tony always had a, an eye and an ear for, for, uh, for how I did things and always had an interest on, on my relationship with the machine more, more than, than the machine itself because he knew that uh, the result was the sum of the two things. It wasn't necessarily, oh, okay, you use the synthy, let's recreate the synthy. No, it was more about what is it about, say, the synthy that makes Alessandro sound like Alessandro or makes Alessandro write or create like he does. And so I think his ability was to be able to, to in my opinion, to grab that independent, that, that, that sort of instability that comes from those old machines, that sort of like sentient, you know, uh, being, yeah. but putting into an environment that still allowed you to shape that in a more constructive and more rational, I don't want to say rational way, but like, I think it's half inspiring and, 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 and uh, unpredictable box and half canvas that you can shape into whatever you want. You know? So I think, I think the, the balance between the two things is very, very strong. So it's never out of control where you go, whoa, what are you going to, you know, I can't use this. But it's also not just going to be, I don't have anything, or I don't have anything in mind, therefore there's nothing coming out. There's, mm -hmm. there's going to be. You know, always something that the machine, that the Strega gives back to you. You know, I think it's a very alive instrument, and I think that is what it has in common with the instruments that, in a way, um, instructed us. You know, to 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 create this design. This is my take. Obviously, Tony will probably give a better explanation of what I just said, but <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think so. That, 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 I think that's a pretty good explanation, actually. Hmm. But yeah, so, in the end of the day, it's just you know it, it was a it was a, a very very similar situation to to being in a band or a creative relationship with someone. It's just you know I say band because that's usually you know being a musician. That's sort of like I grew up with when I was collaborating with someone was either a band or some sort of musical mm. um, out output or outcome. With Tony, uh, we never sat down thinking we're going to make a record or we're going to make, you know, we're going to release this. And it was more like what we felt like kids in a way, you know, it, it was just very, very creative. It was fun. And uh, there were frustrating moments, obviously, probably more for him because I'm more like a child going, hey, Tony, can you do this? And it's like, uh, I could see sometimes. <laughs> Him losing hope in me because, you know, it's just you get excited. You should come up with weird things. Yeah, but could you, could, there's one now. Can you put like 10? <laughs> 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 so what are, what are the major things you had like a change of uh, or, or different opinions about? Is there, are, are, have there been any, any serious fights about things or did it come mm -hmm. together naturally? Personally, I don't remember fights. I think we all sort of like informed each other about what worked and what didn't work because you know mm. a lot of the things that we we started with i think uh, on paper we both agreed oh this is going to be a cool thing to have and then until those things materialize as a prototype and you realize some of them actually are the opposite <coughs> of what you thought they were going to do or be and you go actually you know what this is not or the very entity of the machine was different, you know, like uh, I'm sure at a certain point we will release some of the material that we worked on, like the paperwork and the sketches. And, and there's a lot mm. of stuff like that, that it's completely different from what Strega became, mm. not because of constraints or, or because uh, our idea had to be distilled into something, you know, had to be subtractive, you know, mm. subtractively, you know, chiseled into something um, different. Yeah. More because just like a song or an idea, 
you know, as you go on writing it, you know, it might change this chord because now this chord doesn't work as well with the chorus as it, as it did before you had the chorus. So you change it because at the end of the day, what matters is the whole song. Mm -hmm. And that's what Strega was really. I mean, it became, including the name, you know, um, it just became a thing as we went on, and which makes it extremely special because it was the first thing really, uh, that, that we did together that, that came out. Right. I'm curious to know how, how long, how much time is involved in, in developing things like this from all the way from the initial idea to um, the final product, Tony? What's, what's the usual trajectory for, for this kind of things? Um, probably a lot longer than, than most people would realize and a lot longer than I'd <laughs> like to admit. <laughs> but you know, Alessandro and I talked about stuff for quite a while before we even really sat down and committed to anything. But once we did commit to something, I mean, there was quite some time. I mean, maybe like two years, was it? Um, I think three, year, three years, probably. Yeah. I mean, it was. Because I remember when we met in New York, that was way before anything. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And we, you already had the notebook and we were already writing stuff mm -hmm. down. So I would consider that as already part of the, the process. You know, it's, it's all stuff that even if didn't evolve into a prototype, was still necessary discussions, you know, because we were trying to find each other and find ourselves and mm -hmm. find what we wanted to do. And certain things like that come out only after discussing and talking, yeah, talking right. it you know. takes time. So yeah, yeah. it also was a very good opportunity to know each other, to find out how we worked and how to, you know, to me, how to present things to Tony in a way that it didn't feel overwhelmed. It didn't feel, I don't want to say attacked because that was never, there was never, as I said, any negative negativity to it. But, um, you know, somebody's excitement for someone, especially in Tony's position, who's designing this stuff, might be interpreted. And I'm not saying you did, but sometimes you're, you have a long day and, you know, this dude comes in and says, hey, do this and do this. Why don't we do this and do that? Why don't we try this? You should try this. It can get overwhelming, especially if it's someone like me with an accent. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what 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 are those what are those first ideas then? Is it something? Is it like um, okay, it should have this and this functionality, or is it more like um, a direction for a sonic aesthetic, or um, like maybe uh, the way you interact with it? What what ideas are at the start of of a, of a project like this? Is it I feel like everything that you just said is at the start <laughs> of it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Definitely. I mean, everything from how big should it be and and what sort of functionality should it have? <laughs> What's the aesthetic of the sound? I'm laughing because I remember, like, I still have Tony's face going, well, this is, this is going to be big. <laughs> if you want to do this, it's going to be big. <laughs> yeah, he had, I mean, some of the earlier incarnations were such that they would be physically much larger. And I, it got to this point where I kind of had to say, like, look, if we're going to do it like this, it's going to be, you know, I'm thinking roughly this size. And I think Alessandro wanted it to maybe be a little smaller. And, and so that was like a whole process of, of compromise of trying to figure out like, okay, well, what creates the, the best, the best package that is Striga. And, and so that, that is also another element that, that you, uh, that you didn't mention, which is after you put all the ideas on the table, figuring out which ideas work best together, which ideas are absolutely essential to achieving the aesthetic and the goal of the instrument. Mm. 
And um, are there any things that you decided to leave out? Because um, it is a very compact uh, machine and it seems for the size it has a has massive range still. You know, it has, has a huge uh, uh, yeah, range for vocabulary, whatever you would call it. But it's um, um, there's a lot of things you can do but there's also it is also limited in a way. So, what uh, were there any things you you uh, you kind of sacrificed to to make it fit? If I remember correctly, um, yes and no. In the sense that if you were to consider it before, we, I, I think the moment that we agreed that the the best choice, both from a creative point of view and from a I don't know if economical, but like f from a point of view that would consider the company, when we agreed that the format had to be the zero coast, you know, no coast format. Once that happened, I think uh, it was a very positive milestone for me and I think for Tony because all of a sudden gave us a specific formatting and mm -hmm. also allowed to, allowed us to see it as a part of a bigger microcosm. In other mm -hmm. words, um, shortly after, and correct me, Tony, if I'm, if I'm wrong, but I think shortly after we agreed on that, I think that's when you told me that there were plans to develop the no control. So that the zero control... Mm -hmm. was mm -hmm. or it was already I mean you were designing a sequencer I don't know if it was already going to be in the format but what I'm saying is that the idea of having a Strega with a built-in controller went out the window in a positive way because you go well actually I'd rather not have it and know that there's one the same size that I can use when I need it you know because if I'm going to a studio and I want to use it simply to treat stuff because that's what Strega is also very good at as I'll play you some examples but then I don't need the whole keyboard and I want it to be super small. Maybe I can even put it in my pocket so I don't have to bring mm -hmm. a backpack, you know. So when when we reached that milestone of deciding the format of the Strega is going to be the, the no-coast format, I think it, it made it much easier <clears throat> to to take advantage of the, you know, the the library, the make noise library of circuits and, and products that were out already and sort of use those at the service of the Strega to a certain, to a certain extent. Case in point, the sequencer. You know, which attached to the Strega makes it, you know, a different, you know, instrument essentially adds functionality, adds a certain amount of control, you know, by being able to tune it or just to, to modulate it much differently than as a standalone. And the no codes, which is what started it all when it comes to the format. And all of a sudden with those three, you have MIDI in that you can then, you know, cascade to the other modules if you want to. You have clock, you know, you have all these things. And obviously you have the, the voice and the character of the no-code so you can just piggyback into the Strega. Mm. So it's, uh, you know, I think that was a moment where we started seeing what might have been interpreted as uh, having to cut out functions, as uh, actually looking at the functions that we needed from what we had already, which made mm. it easier. Because then all of a sudden it's like, oh, it's now now you can try things out, you know what I mean? And you can have modules that, you know, Tony has and use them with a prototype to see what would work, you know what I mean? And it, I think at that point it became even faster, the whole the whole process. Mm. Right, Tony? I think, I think you addressed yeah. something before I even had a chance, but I was going to ask, I mean, what did you have in mind in terms of an interface to actually play with it before you decided to use the O control? And I'm sorry if I cut you off, Tony, about saying something else. I think we talked about touch plates from the get-go, right? Yes, yeah, touch, absolutely. Touch absolutely. It, it was a uh, sequencer. Yeah, it was a sequencer. Yeah, there was touch plates. Um, I mean, there was a lot of different things discussed, actually. And um, there were some different people brought in. Um, at one point, we were um, 
at one point we were looking at doing this sort of digital sequencer, I believe. Um, and uh, we had our buddy Matt Sherwood come in and, and we had an afternoon discussion with him on that, setting up the framework with, for that. I, I think one of the reasons that I kind of pushed for putting it into that smaller format and kind of leaving some of that stuff behind is that I felt like what we were moving towards was such a um, a distinct flavor. And I felt like, you know, a lot of people would probably like to have this flavor. They would like to have this aesthetic, but they might they might be more excited if it could take up a little less space in their studio and they could use it with things that they already have. And so it kind of became about distilling it into what is it about Strega that just isn't anywhere else? What is it about Strega that you can't do with existing things that are in your studio? And that's kind of how we came up with the final, um, the final feature set. And what what would you what would you describe of what that is? What what does the Strega set? Up, what does it? Um, uh, what are the things that set it apart from? you know, other stuff that is uh, around. Because there's shitloads of stuff around. <laughs> there is. There's a lot of stuff around. Absolutely. Everything. I mean, it's yeah. nothing sounds or behaves the way. I mean, I know it's a pretentious way to sell it, but the way the <laughs> things, the common elements have been implemented by Tony and they live together, it's nowhere to be found but here. Um, it's an instrument that we collaboratively designed so there's a lot of me and the way that I make music on it. So that aspect, which which is not personal in the sense that it will make anybody everybody sound like me, but that's a very unique thing. You you won't find that in any other instrument. Um, it was such a human back and forth that created this machine that I can guarantee there's nothing. If people sit in front of it, obviously, if you if you purchase by looking at features, you know, people will go, oh, I can have a delay like that. And yes, essentially, there are other modules that have that delay based on the same chip. Mm. It's just not implemented the same way. But, you know, there's several guitars that have the same strings on <laughs> or there's several cars that, you know, mount the same tires on. But it's just or the same same frame you know there's many cars that just have the same exact frame you know mm -hmm. but yeah. like a chrysler 300 and a challenger but which one are you going to pick the fucking challenger you know challenger, of course <laughs> so i mean yeah I but mean, you know so that was my, my my thought i don't think you know it's very hard these days to say you got something unique because people go online it's like well it's the same format as the zero coast or it just maybe looks like this it sounds like that it's like no so mm -hmm. sit in front of it Think about the fact that it's two people that went three years back and forth having a relationship, you know, and 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 designed this and, and and just close your eyes and try to make music and you'll see that it's a very, very unique, uniquely implemented set of features, I think. Mm. Hmm. Yeah, it looks like a very musical uh, piece of kit. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we've got a question. Let's see if that's any relevant from Lance Drake. Um, Curious what the early prototypes. Hey, Lance. Hi, Lance. What's up, Lance? <laughs> He's curious what the early prototypes looked like uh, when Strega was developed. Um, yeah, how, how, yeah, I mean, I think we talked about features that didn't make it or that were decided not to use. Um, uh, I, I actually, I'm wondering. Um, so you, you're, you're making this thing that at some point you got, you need to have a working version, right? Mm -hmm. Um, how long, um, you know, what, what, what is the, 
what is happening after that? Is it like uh, you have another discussion, you ditch some features, you add some? Can you describe that process a little bit? Yeah, sure. So, you know, we had talked about it a lot and, and I had uh, visited Alessandro in L.A. a few times and Berlin a few times. And uh, we'd also met up <coughs> in New York. And, and then at one point he came out to Asheville, I think for a whole week um, you were out mm -hmm. there. And every day we worked on it. And at that point, the Strega had materialized into an actual functional group of circuits. But the circuits were on something that is called a breadboard, which is sort of a very precarious way of building up circuits to where they work until someone bumps the table or you, you know, breathe on it. Frankenstein wrong. synth. <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's, a, it's what it is, is a, it's a little it's a pad of... Um, it's a perforated pad, and, and the pads are aligned in a grid such that you can connect different components by kind of stabbing them into the pad. And uh, it's fine for really simple things, but the minute you get to a point of something as complex as a Strega, even, it was a little too big to be on a breadboard. But the nice thing about the breadboard is it allows you to prototype fast and make changes fast. I mean, I'm talking to the point where I could add a feedback loop and Cortini could play it and say, hmm, I like this. And I say, great, should we should <laughs> juice it up a little bit more? And I can I literally do. be making resistor value changes or capacitor value changes in real time as he's playing and I can literally just be changing the circuit and kind of watch his eyes light up or watch him kind of back away a little oh, bit. Oh, that's cool that you, that you actually did, you know, developed it like that, like tuning the thing according to whatever happens with it musically. I think that's, exactly. that's, that's a really good idea because otherwise you'll just be sending stuff back and forth and, you know, having countless long emails going. It, yeah, yeah, it's, it's yeah. a really cool and, way. And it's a pretty interesting process to have someone. I mean, he's literally sitting next to me. I'm, I'm here. He's here. I'm literally making component changes as he's playing this awesome. thing. And, and he's just kind of giving me, like, the most immediate feedback that somebody could possibly get. Yeah. So that's yeah. actually pretty great because as you noted i mean yeah mailing something you even if you ship it overnight and um they get it right away it's still there's a quite a bit of a delay line so to mm. speak in getting feedback on that delay so <laughs> a little bit i know it, what it you're doing definitely all the hits, awesome. all the hits tonight. <laughs> that one's for walker and pete um <laughs> it, was a, it was pretty awesome to have him there for that i feel like that week was the week that we really really um yeah we really kind of cemented some of the ideas that became the striga hmm. so him sitting there me just changing things and you know obviously though after that you want to get it off that breadboard as fast as possible because even something as simple as hey i wonder how this responds to other control voltages I mean, if you want to pick that thing up and move it to another room or space that has some other instruments, to, you know, you can't do that. You got to bring the instruments into there. And then yeah. you got to be real careful as you're plugging everything in that you don't bump anything. It's just, it's just a very precarious arrangement. So I try to go from the breadboard to an actual circuit board, a prototype to circuit board really quickly. And we live in this amazing time where, I, I mean, for a lot of money it's not cheap but it's still great to be able to get it fast i can get a finished four layer circuit board in in 48 hours once i commit to design so it's kind mm. of incredible i mean now it's 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 a insanely expensive circuit board but it works good and it's great you know for checking out an idea and getting it from that breadboard 
to an actual board that could be mailed to someone and they could play. You know, so I get like maybe like anywhere from five to ten of those. And then um, Devin, who is um, who works at Make Noise, would build these up, and then I would do further tweaks. We'd ship one to Alessandro, and um, oh, what's that? Um, and then uh, we would, uh, you know, we would just have chats about it. He would say, I like what you did here, right? and uh, I really like this or that. Or at one point, he found that he didn't like the input response of the external input, and uh, so it was like a mad race. Okay, let's figure this out. What doesn't he like? It would have been nice if we'd have figured that out while he was there. It would have moved a lot more quickly, but obviously he's got a life to live over yeah. at that point in Berlin. So he I was going to, I was going to ask if the, if the physical distance between both of you guys slowed down the process by any level, I mean, shipping sure, prototypes sure. back and forth must've been quite difficult. I mean, it's just a lot of, you know, it's just a high FedEx bill really. I mean, it's, it's, we, I mean, we live in an amazing time. I mean, he can, I can make a change to Astrega and have it to him in less than 48 hours mm -hmm. so from Asheville to Berlin. Well, that's so, impressive. And Plus, I mean, who knows, you know, what sort of feedback would have been like if you're thinking, well, maybe if I was in Asheville, then, then it would have been much quicker. Not necessarily. We don't know if, true. if we would have. I mean, I think, as Tony said, having that week of working together allowed us to leave extremely fulfilled with a lot of stuff to process before we reached the, the prototype that we, we finally, let's say, started with. If we were there all the time, I don't know if it would have been the same. It's hard to tell. I think that, um, you it know, might the, not, the it one might thing... Have, it might still not be finished. Yeah, exactly. We, there's no, no way to tell. But what I can tell you is that maybe the, the one drawback was German customs, because they suck. It's just, you know, they, they just make it harder to deal with stuff like that, you know? Like, you got to go there and... You know, you feel guilty yeah. the moment you walk in just because you're there. <laughs> <laughs> the Zolamt. <laughs> Fucking fuck that. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, Alessandro, Alessandro, I was I was wondering, um, do you do you think that it is the process is comparable to writing an album or to to uh, prepare for a release or something? Uh, and especially, um, you know, you spend all this time sort of conceiving these ideas and, and trying these different incarnations and perfecting the uh, the product in a way. Um, isn't it like you're sick and tired of the thing, now it's real? <laughs> no, because uh, none of the changes... I get that were, when I like, do a release. For example, you know, perfecting is, you know, perfecting doesn't come into place because perfecting implies that we already had a clear vision of what the result was going to be. Mm. But generally speaking, till the very end, and there weren't that many prototypes. Like one, once prototypes, once it became a thing, there weren't. If Tony, correct me if I'm wrong, but there weren't that many changes when it comes to what it sounded like and what it could do. I mean, there were changes from a design point of view that he had to take care of, you know, under the hood. But mm -hmm. um, I feel, to me, as much as if I collaborated with other people musically, I feel it's a very similar situation with Tony. It's just a different outcome you know because once you release a record um i've been very lucky in, in my life in the sense that you know people react to the music that i have that i make that are put out and, and but it's a very passive reaction in the sense that uh, the majority of them just digest and consume the music that i make the way that it is as an album or you know during their day and it's it's a very emotional part i'm not cutting any importance from it but once you release an instrument that still has a lot of you in it, um, 
and particularly the way that we achieved it, which I feel like it's, it is a blank canvas or an easel, if you like to call it that way, but, mm-hmm. um, where, uh, where then you get other people's voice through it, then you have a layer, you know, what I mean? which you didn't have before. Because once you release a record, that's it. You're not going to hear that's people true. making their own version of your record. But when no, you release but an they, instrument... They will have their own, they will, they will have their own uh, interpretations and their own memories attached to it. So it, it still has like a second But you won't hear you know? those. You no, no, no. This, those, well, yeah. unless they, they tell you. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, no, you're no, right. but, yeah, but it won't come out as music. It won't it come out as music. Pe- yeah, it doesn't enable people to do something of their own, which is a difference with uh, a project like this, I guess. Yeah. Well, this is designed, you know, yeah. and, and so I, I think one of the fears, and I think, you know, uh, particularly after the Sonic State video where I introduced it was, you know, that people would assume that it would sound like I make it sound because it's, it's an instrument that we designed for for me to begin with and but it was very good to start seeing everyone um, using it and seeing that each different artist and musician that used it came up with different things so it was a very malleable instrument that really adapts to the hands and the spirit and the emotions of whoever plays it you know mm. and also non-musicians you know i had people friends that don't play music that sit in front of it and, and are able to feel good and you know that, that was another goal i mean not to be at all a fucking you know like a new agey about it but i mean to have a bo- <laughs> box that i can just put on headphones in a corner and feel like i'm zoning out for like an hour and I don't know what's happening but it feels good it sounds good I can just leave it on close my eyes and go yeah this, I saved some money on therapy I'm just doing this now you know what I mean yeah, yeah. I feel the strength for me that's what it is um, it's it's a it's a cross between a Buddha box and, and an instrument in the sense that you could set up something and feel good about doing you know mm-hmm. hearing yeah. it and listening to it but, but the same token there's this new layer of creativity that comes from the fact that other people will own it Hmm. And I think it's uh, it's a new thing that I'm getting used to. Not getting used to in the sense that uh, it feels uncomfortable. It's just another layer, a complete new layer that I'm not used to, that I'm, I'm really excited about because I'm starting seeing, you know, uh, Sarah Reed doing videos or I see Basic doing stuff or Jamie Lydell did a video that was very, a little demo video, uh, very vocal-based, you know. And, it's, and I go, well, I mean, these are all... Even if I would have applied the same technique, I wouldn't have come out with those things, you know. It just mm. so makes me feel extremely excited, you know. I'm like, I can't wait to hear what Mo will do with it, you know. Um, so it's a uh, it's a it's a whole new world for me. I'm sure that, you know, for Tony, um, it's it's you know he's worked on different modules. I I know this is a different thing for him, but I, I, for me as an artist, it's a, it's a completely new layer to be creative. Um, and I feel extremely lucky because I've had to, you know I've been able to do it with Tony, which not only was a successful collaboration, but he's a he's a very good friend of mine. So it's like it's a very lucky position to be in. I would agree. Awesome. Mo, did you get yours? No, mine's supposed <laughs> to be arriving tomorrow. I've been waiting. Ooh, I was hoping I'd have get you it tracking. Have your all the track. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> At least I'd have something to add to the conversation with a little experience, but uh, I'll have to sit wait for, for tomorrow. <laughs> I guess we should have waited to do this. No, no, it's fine. I'm excited to get it. I mean, it looks incredible, and it looks like something that's that's easy to get um, happy accidents out of, and um, it's inspiring, especially since two of my good friends made it. So, you know, I'm looking forward to it. I'm not your friend. <laughs> I'm, pretend, I'm a good man. friend. I'm a good friend. I try to be. 
Yeah. Not Try always. harder. Well, you you know, you used to come to Berlin. Now, we're, you know, we're, we're not going anywhere. No one is going anywhere. Yeah, exactly. We're stuck. Oh, there's um, um, a uh, question. See, from, that's uh, a good question right there. Yeah, that's the first, that, that's why, that's the stuff that fucking triggers me. I'm sorry, but like Go at for first it. glance, that's already wrong. First glance, if, if something at first glance, then you just say, no, I'm going to step away. There's no first glance. It's a complex instrument that requires people to sit in front of it and figure it out. And also all about such, it's just, you know, no, I'm sorry. Out. Out. Well, actually, I have I, zero tolerance. I can, I actually, I, I, I do have some thoughts on that. And I think that um, one of the things that, that I noticed that, that Alessandro gravitated to was the synthy, obviously. And mm -hmm. he had, he had shown me his synthy and, and let me uh, have some time with it. And he was talking a lot about the mixer section and how he, he, mm -hmm. he liked how it was saturated. Mm. And um and then eventually I uh um a friend it's of right mine there. had located a synthy okay. for make noise. Um and so we got a synthy as well and I was able to study it a little more closely. And I started to realize that the synthy is kind of uh, one of the things that makes it special is it saturates everywhere. Like everything saturates. Like every like the input to the reverb, the And every um, stage, yeah. Yeah. It's every stage saturates and they all saturate a little bit differently and then they're also all very influenced by the the following stage so if you have saturation happening at the input of the filter and then you patch the output of the filter into the reverb that saturates too in a different way but if you maybe decide to go to the vca instead of the reverb i mean, I mean there's just so many things that you can do hmm. that can create these different kind of saturations and so with this draga i really wanted there to be a lot of different points where saturation could happen or not you don't have to um and those things kind of build as you, you know, go from one circuit to the next. And it, you can create a lot of different textures that way, I think. Because you're not just, you know, it's funny because I was just last night, uh, for some reason, I really felt compelled to get an SPX 990. And, um, and don't ask me why. Uh, but there's this, there's this distortion in it. And I was playing with that distortion a little bit. And I was thinking about how distortion is considered such an effect ever since the 80s, really. It's like something you turn on and it's just right there. It's just the distortion is just right there in that box. And the distortion in the SPX 990 was kind of just whatever. But then by accident, I, I had turned the input to the 990 up way too much, um, going from modular into it. And then it distorted this whole other way that I'm sure that they didn't intend um, and it was actually kind of amazing distortion happening at the proper input to the unit, not the distortion algorithm that's built into it. But if you combined those two things, the distortion at the input of the unit, which is analog, and the digital distortion, suddenly it was something that was actually pretty interesting. And I think that's kind of at the heart of Strega is it's not about the individual functional blocks. It's about how they're allowed to interact with each other and mm. how all of them can saturate and kind of influence each other in that way. And that's what makes it feel a little bit more than the, just the basic sum of its parts. Mm. I was just looking around because I have an SPX 990 here and you can have it, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> but let me say one thing, because I don't, I don't want to be the bummer one that got angry. I, mean, I didn't get angry, but the, the, the thing about... Um, you see what I got to deal with? You see? <laughs> <laughs> it's true. 
But then I bump people out because I'm get all. But you know, you have to understand that this is the first time that I have to consciously because usually I don't give a shit about you know what what the feedback is about stuff that I do because I do it for myself. So you know, I feel lucky that people like what I do when they like it. But if they don't, you know, I'll move on and do something else. But something like an instrument, it's different, and so it's hard to to separate the feedback from from the curiosity you know what i mean and and the rushed feedback that we're used to give and i am guilty of the same thing by just seeing something on a screen and 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 saying oh well this is oh this is nothing but you know you know what i mean we all do that but to go back to the saturation and to the synthy particularly that was the first instrument for me that showed me how saturation wasn't necessarily a negative thing or like gain staging wasn't necessarily a bad thing and as Tony said, in the synthy, it happened at every level, at the VCO levels, at the mixing stage, at the filter input, at the output, at the input of the reverb. So it, it happens everywhere, but wherever you try it, it has a different effect. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you hardly ever have it all on. It's, it, it's the equivalent of having a mixer that goes to 11 at every stage as opposed to 10. So you're, you're able to sort of push it over in different spots, you know. So I th- that that definitely was an element that, that we kept in mind, you know, uh, when it came to, to implementing certain features into the Strega. But I want to make it clear that it wasn't, all right, how did they do a circuit? I mean, I assume, but, you know, it was never going to the original circuits and try to see how it was done there in order to implement. It was like, what does this circuit, the original circuit, do that I like? And how can we make our own version within our new creation. It was always about what the result was in these instruments as opposed to, you know, obviously the easel is another instrument that I'm really attached to, but we never, I mean, aside from the touch plate, which I relate to simply because I'm not a keyboard player, therefore I'd rather have a touch plate than a physical key. But we never thought about, oh, we got to make a, you know, a cross between an easel and a synthy because those are the two instruments that I've been mostly creative on in the last f- five years, six years, whatever it is. It was more about what did I get out of the synthy, what did I get out of the easel, and why? And how can I feel that way in front of a new instrument that doesn't make me feel like it's a, you know, 50% of one and 50% of the other Frankenstein together, you know what I mean? Which would have never worked. Mm-mm. So yeah. I think Tony's ability was able to see the saturation as one of the one of the ingredients that allowed me to come up with certain things and just like the, you know, the, the, the delay or like the delay, for example, that is implemented on the Strega, which is the instrument, if you want, it's the heart of the instrument, came from pedals, you know, like certain pedals that I really liked and the way that they worked and how they weren't very clean. That was the starting point. In Strega, that becomes at the center that's why the delay is not just at, it's not at the end of the module and it doesn't look like an effect at the end you know that you that you sort of mix in when you need it it's it's you know one of the big knobs you know like two of the big knobs in fact are for the for the delay itself you know so they're they're, they're protagonists just as much as the vco you know what i mean mm-hmm. So but you say key, it's not it's not necessarily at the end like that's the that would be the normal signal signal, signal flow. flow. Yeah, someone asked about yeah. the signal flow. The signal flow, yeah. you know, it's it's very variable. 
the signal flow. I don't. I wouldn't, uh, especially considering the you know the feedback loop in the in the, the well, sorry the filter in the in the feedback, feedback loop. loops actually. Yeah, more than one. Sorry, I, I meant the, the filter in the feedback, uh, oh, the delay right, feedback. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I'll let uh, I'll let Tony talk about the signal flow because probably he's gonna do. Well, a, I mean, he's right. The echo is not at the end. It's actually it's. I would say it's it's kind of right in the middle. Which it makes it a little bit different, makes it more a part of the synthesis as opposed to an effect. So that that is definitely a that is it's a choice. I mean, some people would say it's an odd choice. Other people would say um, it's a choice that excites them. But it's a choice, and that's where it is. And you really can't that part of it. You can't really change. Um, it's just it, because it's there's so much feedback paths coming around and. Um, that it's, it would be hard to to um, to do that. There you go. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, I think so. That is so can can, can you explain? Are they are they like sort of intentional leaks, or are they sort of um, there to be put, you know, thrown in or changed uh, um, on the fly? Like, uh, I mean, is there a, a way to control the types of feedback that are going on, or or is it yeah. always part of the the sound anyway? Some of them, yeah, some of them are con are controllable. Others are just uh, they're more uh, they're kind of more activated. Uh, the higher the gain is, that kind of thing. Um, like you're going to hear them more as you as you uh, as you basically as you as you juice the circuit harder. You're going to hear the more more of the feedback. Uh, but the, yeah, I mean the, the the decay is, I guess, the most basic feedback control, but it doesn't control all the feedback. It can happen in there. Hmm. Um, the filter has a lot of influence over it too, especially since where it is. The absorb is is uh, another set of filters that that you can use that can accentuate some of the. Um, I mean, there the idea is that they can accentuate the high frequencies or not, but in, in essence, because it's kind of a noisy circuit, they also serve to accentuate the noise. Nah. I mean, I will say this. I got to be honest with you. One of the things that made me really excited about doing this with Alessandro is that I could make something that was really noisy. And <laughs> if customers were bummed out about how noisy it was, I could just point to him and say, hey, look, this, look, this is Talk how to this the guy, guy wants it. Talk to that um, guy. <laughs> I mean, we're generally, noise is something that can be pretty hard to... Um, it can be pretty hard for some people, I think. And so to digest a company trying to make things that a lot of people could like and enjoy sometimes, uh, a circuit with a lot of noise in it. Will uh, get I'm sorry. I'm sorry, size. Tony, what's the name of the company? <laughs> I was going to say that. Yeah, I know it, it is weird. It just, is weird. just wondering. <laughs> that is, uh, it's ironic, but it is, it's, I, I think, you know, part of it, I think comes from, uh, it's funny because I, I've, uh, I've noticed, I think it com could come potentially from people working more in the box. And uh, that's not really, like, I guess I come from being in, like, rehearsal spaces or in studios where there's a lot of noise all, all the time. Guitar amps making noise, like, mixers making noise. And it's just like, so the mm -hmm. noise floor, that thing doesn't bother me as much. Um, but, yeah, when people work inside the box and then they come to something like the Straga or, or well, shit, most modular systems, I think mm -hmm. it's it can be pretty alarming to them initially to be sure. in that physical world and have that physical noise floor that's actually there all the time 
just kind of humming away. But it's just a reality of being in the real world. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. Yeah, it's like I I I mean I don't I don't mind noise at all, even if it's unintentional. I mean, intentional noise, of course, you know. But um, you know, I'm I'm from. <laughs> I'm from I'm old school, you know. I started with uh, cassette tapes and tape recorders and <laughs> humming amplifiers and shit like that. So uh, you know, it's it's just part of the. I actually like I like the um, the fact that sometimes, you know, um, a machine, even though it doesn't make any music, already has like this hum or noise to it. So you know, it's there. It's it's already on. It's doing something. You know what I mean? Yeah, it actually mm-hmm. actually improves the inla- the relationship I feel with an instrument. If it if you, you know, if you turn it on and you know, apart from just the lights blinking, if there is like a sort of like a, almost unnoticeable but still there, like thing emitting from it, you know, it's sort breathing. of breathing. Yeah, it's alive. Yeah, yeah, it sort of like um, invokes um, the uh, you know the idea of try of going to interact with it. You know, like having this back and forth relationship with it. Yeah, yeah, I can see what you mean. What was the thought process behind the touch points, though? I mean, is there is there a reason for their location? Is it rather random? Is it just because that's where the circuits are located? I mean, um, yeah, that's a really good question. Uh, it's it is. Uh, I guess it's somewhat related to where the circuits are, but also. Um, you know, that we were, we were already in the form factor. The touch base were like one of the last things that we added, I believe. Um, I think they were, because the first prototypes didn't have them. Hmm. Um, no. I, I think, you know, we'd already committed to this, this zero coast form factor, which limits you obviously space-wise. And I, I felt like there could be something else that we could do that would have this, um, well, one of the elements of one of the things I've always noticed about Alessandro when he performs, and I'm assuming he does this in the studio as well, is he's there's this thing in modular where people want to patch everything. They they want everything to be aleatoric. So in other words, it's the machine is kind of set up to make the music, and then they can kind of step away. And you see this in a lot of uh, a lot of the videos and stuff that people post with modular synthesizers and there's nothing wrong with that it's just that one thing that i noticed about alessandro and if you look at the back side of the first make noise record that he did for us you'll see there's a, a hand and there's a lot of wires coming out of that hand and then, and when uh that was drawn the idea was that he's not afraid to actually touch the instrument and if he wants something to happen he will just you know touch the part of the instrument that he needs to touch to make that happen and he'll just make it happen by hand he's not concerned with having something that's just going to operate um without him and so i was thinking there really needs to be some other manual some other way of inducing or influencing the sounds that are happening in the strega with your hands and so that's why the touch points came in in, uh into play they were kind of they were added at the end but i think they were a necessary ingredient and so their location was, to some degree, where I could fit them and, and also what made the best sense as far as um, where the circuits were and, and what the points actually were. So and, what, what functionality is, is uh, uh, on, the, on the touch plates? What, what, do they, what do they do? So their modulation points, basically, um, the sources are called... Uh, uh, sources are I'll called put it up bridges. so people can see it. Yeah, and uh, so, so the sources are are called bridges, and those are all the circles. I'm pointing at the screen like someone could see that. <laughs> um, 
the sources are the sources are called uh, bridges, and those are all the circles. And those are several of those are are signals that are not available anywhere else. And then the squares are um, the destinations. So those are called gateways. And so the idea is that you can um, kind of momentarily bridge these um, sources to the destinations. And so you can induce these momentary modulations. Um, actually, what he's holding up there is a prototype. Because there's several, there's some of the uh, touch bridges that, are, that did not make it to the final version. Oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, that's fine. I'm sure people will find that interesting to see. Oh, shit. That's true. Um, <laughs> oh, you know so, why I have the prototype? Because I have the, the, the final I have on the table making music, which I can I can play later. But And then I have another one, a, the second prototype in the living room doing something else. <laughs> and then I have this, which is the only free one that I have. They're like, I told you, they're everywhere. They're becoming like a... Little gremlins. <laughs> You're gonna make a litter box out of one soon. <laughs> yeah. Um, Lens, we're back with another question uh, on the bridge subject. Is there a CV audio input to bridge on the Strega? CV audio I'm not sure oh, what oh, bri bridging. Like an external in. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just reading the question. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not sure if Lance, if you specify what bridging, what bridge in what sense. But it does have an audio input, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I was processing the guitar through. I don't I, know about feeding Strega after midnight because I, I never last till midnight. <laughs> I think you should. I think you should definitely feed it after midnight. Play with fire. It multiplies. <laughs> yeah, it does. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I think maybe Lance was, I don't know if he was talking about what I was just talking about, like this idea of bridges and, and gateways for doing the momentary modulations, the touch plates, essentially, or if he was actually meaning um, a way oh, maybe, to get, yeah. maybe, so to, maybe, maybe to Maybe to basic, you know, uh, manipulate the, the Incoming level or CD. something. Yeah, exactly. No, then then there isn't. I think the, the, the bridges are dedicated to internal, right? Internal oh, CVs. Oh, right, right. Yeah, no, I, I think you're spot on. I think that is what he meant. Um, yeah. yeah, no, they're, yeah, they're all, uh, dedicated to internal signals that aren't available otherwise. Um, yeah. So you, the only way. What you do you mean aren't available? Function. So there, you mean there are no knobs for it They're just, yeah, uh, they just tap no... into a part of the circuit, which is not available anywhere else. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and, uh, Lance is asking, taking CV from somewhere else and making it a touch connection. I mean, yeah, you no. could do that by just taking, um, Oh yeah. yeah putting you know, the, the, the thing in there. Not the by yeah. thing, I mean the cable. Yeah, yeah. Hold, hold the, hold the end of the cable with one hand, and then touch <laughs> the the uh, the gateway with the other. Yeah. I know it sounds, it sounds. Uh, you know, Mo's over here laughing. It's, it's not very professional. I agree. This isn't something that. No, we were laughing because I said put know. the thing on it, you know, and then I had to specify what was the cable. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. That too. Would, would you say that the the zero control is probably a, a perfect um, thing to go alongside with it? Did it have any influence on the design of it when you when you decided to like stick to the form factor? Uh, I mean, it. I guess it kind of did for me. I don't know about if it did for Alessandro or not, but for me, it did just because it seemed like a good a good idea to have some sort of CV 
controller for it. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't I don't even know. I mean, I feel like a lot of people probably will just use it without that too. What is what, what about you, Alessandro? What do you what 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 sequencer or input? Um, I only use it with a zero control. Uh, I use it two ways right. when it comes to control. I mean, and actually, I'll play a little example too because one of the things. I mean, I think first of all, to answer your first question, I think the zero control is the ideal controller for it, just because a it looks the same, family wise, it looks like it belongs, mm-hmm. and I have I have a um, a soft spot for things that feel like an instrument. You know, mm-hmm. so to me, the zero control just is is it's just kind of like Voltron. It just, you know, makes, makes the whole thing, you know, it's two pieces of the same entity. And so adds functionality to the Strega, allows you to, you know, um, to sequence certain elements that, that you weren't able to sequence before, obviously, to touch them with different touch points. Um, but another way that I use, that I control Strega with, is uh, when I use external signals is using the envelope follower from those signals to modulate um, um, elements or, you know, settings or, you know, CV point, points. The whole thought process behind it was that Strega was designed to be an instrument to begin with, but the way that Strega sounds and what Strega does, I wanted to be able to color and to apply to other things, you know, and I've said this before in other, you know, uh, interviews or other spaces, that the idea of Strega or sounds that come out of Strega is... Uh, like taking an object, and it's the sonic equivalent of taking an object and putting it under the sea, leaving it there for like 30 years, and then fishing it out again. You know, like um, it just shaves off rough edges and changes colors. Colors are more pastel, and it's not as bright and tacky. And so the, the idea is is that I'm, allow, I'm, I'm able to, to apply that to incoming signals, whatever those signals could be, drums or, you know, or guitar or anything. Um, the cool part is that, you know, since the beginning, we, we thought, well, then we could actually use whatever the input is as a modulation source. So you could actually take that and use it to control certain things. So you don't have to sequence, you don't have to have a delay, a, temp, a, a tempo, a tap tempo delay. You, you can just use whichever source and the time of the source that you're putting in as a clocking device, you know, when it comes to the modulations. Like, for example, like right now, I think here I have a little, like a simple guitar part. Hold on, sorry. So a guitar loop, can you hear that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so this is just clean going in through Strega, and then if I mix the Strega in... So now you hear basically the attacks of the guitar actually modulating the time of the delay. They're modulating the filter on the feedback. So it becomes completely different. You know, it's it's not a guitar anymore. You know, and this yeah. is without the built-in voice. This is just using a guitar. If I cut the guitar out, mm-hmm. you're just left with whatever's left on the circuit. You know, and then you can add if you want the oscillator in too.
the oscillator. It reminds me of a, there was a video game on Commodore 64 called Mission Impossible or Impossible Mission. And this reminds me of the noise that the, the, the guy was making when it died. <laughs> it was all like... I was going to say, it sounds like the soundtrack of you driving like through this. traffic. Hold on. <laughs> Look it up. Look it up. I think we just lost Alessandro. We'll just be uh, tweaking. Uh, Sorry. <laughs> tweaking oh, with that, that's, uh, this is, it happened on Sonic State as well. It just happens. <laughs> And it's like, like, oh, well, no wonder it happens. It's, you know, Tony no, kind of designed I, this for me. So, of course, I just <laughs> fucking lose my shit and just goodbye, so everybody. The, the, give some context behind the name that you gave to it. Well, just like everything else off my, you know, my records, and I don't spend too yeah. much time in the sense that the names come, they make sense, done. I don't, you know, the, the names should be never the names of anything artistic whether to me uh, is a song a composition should never be considered on their own as completely meaningful as in oh it's called strega because this and this and this they just have to make sense within the environment of being a label for an instrument yeah. in my case when i think of strega i'm thinking you know witchcraft i'm thinking a specific vibe a specific sound and particularly like if i'm thinking about a a visual representation i'm thinking about the movie the witch that sort of witchcraft mm -hmm. you know empowering you know a, a little girl to be you know attracted to a to something that they told her it's wrong but in reality yeah. it's not it's not wrong it's just different you know what i mean yeah. and and a, a sound sonically um a, a darker sound you know i don't think it's darker as in dark fucking industrial you know none of that i think it's more dark as in left in a corner for a long time and it's in the garage for 30 years and take it out and things look and sound different after you know an old cassette or thing what is it, what am, is am it, i making any sense because i think i'm yeah, losing yeah, my yeah, mind yeah. sorry just, i just figured no, it was, maybe had something to do with some kind of spellbounding effect that it had on you while you were just no i think well the, ori the origin of it and i remember because i talked about this with tony um or originally it came from a from a from a game uh, that kids play in italy and in other countries called strega comanda colore which is basically a game that you play with your friends with uh, strega someone is the witch and the witch calls a color and uh, the other kids, so I would say Strega calls yellow, and then the kids would have to find something yellow and touch it or be next to something yellow. If they don't, then whoever doesn't touch the color becomes the witch, and then they do the same thing. You know what I mean? So the idea was to come up with three different elements, Strega, Comanda, Colore, and for them to be three different elements. And then in the end, it became Strega, you know, as, as, as a one instrument. And then slowly the name Strega became a thing with the sound in a sense that if I look at Strega, I go, yeah, it makes sense. To me, it makes sense, the name with the sound that comes out of the machine, you know. It, it is a little, you know, um, I don't want to say creepy because it has a negative connotation, but it's a I blue instrument. You know, it, it can be very blue. You know, it's a very blue sound. Blue as in melancholic, you know. See, our music played Strega Comanda Colore. We all played it. We don't, a lot of us won't admit it, but we all played it. I want to play it now, man. <laughs> I mean, fuck it. <laughs> so the world is going to shit. So, I can I swear? Witch. Sorry, I didn't. Yeah, yeah you it's YouTube. Right. What is it? What is it about um, the phenomenon that sound, when it's um, kind of disguised and, like you describe it, Alessandro, like left underwater for thirty years, somehow sounds more interesting than when it's untreated? 
emotional content. I think it, it it's like a it's like a pair of boots that you know that that feel broken in, and it's a pair of pants that you know a pair of jeans that you wore in all your life, and or a guitar that has been broken in. I think it's the same exact thing. It gives you familiarity and emotional connection to something that you feel it's warm and you know engulfs you and and, and just makes you feel at home and history you know yeah i think streg when i listen to strega you know what people some people might consider noise and just not being pleasant to me is like you know if i if i play some some of this stuff like that noise right which you wouldn't hear if it's there That that high pitched noise, to me, it just feels like home. It just makes me feel. It fills up the space in a very welcoming and and very warm way. I mean, would I want to use it all the time? No, but you don't have to use it all the time. You know. Mm-hmm. Sort of like, the, you know, like the visual equivalent to VHS or Polaroid or something. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. And I mean, I think it's also very delicate because you know it's very easy. Like or cassettes, you know, it's very easy. Um, there's a whole cassette culture. There's a lot of people doing cassette loops right now, and in, in, in vaguely reminding to me at least, vaguely emotionally con- reminding work from, like I say, William Basinski. Forgetting that at the key of what William Basinski did, there was emotion, and those specific chord progressions that he loops trigger a specific emotion and right now what we're seeing uh, when it comes to you know that sort of revival is just a, an exploitation of the tool like how how bro- broken can the tape get how interesting can the pattern of the crippled you know like crumbled up tape can get uh, but at the end the content the emotional content of those chords playing are nowhere close to the original you know inspiration you still go back to you know William Basinski's disintegration loops you put it on and it just feels like someone melted you know it's like you took opiates in a way just emotionally it just melts away everything just melts away and well it literally none is of them, yeah. it literally is yeah. right the, yeah. the, the tape was actually physically decaying when you, yeah exactly yeah, yeah. But, but you know it, there's a tendency and it happened with you know I'm, I'm a guitar player so i saw it happen with people like van halen back in the day you know van halen you know people think that he started a shredding movement and all playing fast but to him it was a part of being the artist that he was and the artist was writing songs in a band contest the band that became van halen they're big that big not because he was playing guitar that way it's just because it was a part of an entity you know what i mean mm-hmm. so there's a tendency to try to take out dissect what's beautiful and turning into a tool and overdo it to the point that we're going to get one or two years from now that people are going to fucking hate the sound of tape or the sound of, you know, of, uh, of saturation of stuff like that because it's been done without an emotional counterpart in a way that just becomes, you know, if you eat lobster every fucking day, then it ain't lobster anymore. You know what I mean? Then you want to have McDonald's sometimes. <laughs> <Fuck it. laughs> Oh, I told you it would have been it would have been better if I'd never done these things because these are gonna these statements are gonna fucking haunt me forever. No, I think it's gonna sell more because of this. Oh, I don't know about that. Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna make well, a highlight hopefully reel. enough to pay for my mental institution later. <laughs> I like real for sure. We've got uh, Robert Lipok um, dropping in. Uh, have you tried it on a big sound system? This is a good question. Uh, because that makes, you know, we all know that makes a huge difference on uh, um, how something sounds, you know? 
A lot uh, of lack uh, of opportunity for big stuff. Yeah, yeah that's what I have. Okay, but um, no, we haven't. I mean, at least I haven't. I don't know if Tony had the chance, but uh, I did try it on my barefoot speakers in, in Berlin. So that was, you know, and actually I had uh, Rob Lowe uh, come into Berlin and play with the prototypes there, and I remember just staring at him. He played for like a half hour, forty five minutes, and. I, call, I think I called you, Tony, or texted mm-hmm. you. It was like, yeah. Jesus, you, you should be here. It just sounds incredible. Yeah. And again, stuff that I wouldn't have never done with it. You know, I mean, I think Robert set up some feedback loop within the modules, like putting the input into the output or vice versa. Well, it doesn't matter. But you know what I mean? Like creating yeah. a feedback loop. And 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 it was in the big speakers and it was rattling. And, you know, one of the few times where the, the red LED comes on and it's like, I don't care. It just sounds so good. Who cares? Fuck it. I'm going to buy new speakers. <laughs> but so I think for what I could hear in my controlled environment with big speakers, obviously they weren't function ones, but it translates very well, you know. But then again, you know how much of the room will have a factor in that. Mm-hmm. The bigger the speaker, no. the more the room is going to have to do with it, you know. Is there a is there something built into the instrument which somehow controls the level? Like because there is so much uh, feedback involved, um, I, I I can assume that uh, some of it can get out of hand. Did mm-hmm. you? Is there anything that manages the the level? Yeah, absolutely. There's uh, there's um, several stages of, of uh, compression actually that happen um, throughout, especially after the echo. Um, yeah, there's really only one at the at the mixing stage, but yeah, after the echo, there's uh, a few different areas where compression can be turned on. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not always there. It's just it's more like set by a threshold, but it's not something that the end user can set i just it's, these are circuits that i put into it to make it more uh, i guess i guess for lack of a better word more musical just something that a musician can just play and not have to i mean there's some you know the thing is that there's so many any in any given circuit there's so many things that you can adjust and and only some of those things have a great musical value and just because you can adjust something doesn't mean you need to put it on the panel for someone to adjust because sometimes that result isn't going to be very dramatic. And it might even cause somebody to spend more time thinking about, oh, why isn't this doing what I wanted it to do? Then, you know, good, because if they didn't spend the waste of time trying to adjust this parameter, they might be mm-hmm. over here adjusting this other parameter that is going to give them more drama, so to speak. And I feel like uh, so they, like these types of circuits are kind of tucked away in there, just to make it more functional. So they, it's not going to rip your head off, or, or uh, you know, it can still get very loud. Don't get me wrong. Uh, it's I can still hear no Tony, tame instrument. Tony going, whoa, <laughs> <laughs> a few times when we were working on the circuit on the breadboard. Whoa. <laughs> It gotten loud. That's probably when we you started thinking about that stuff because I remember yeah. there were some, especially when he when he came up with the idea of the filter in the in the loop, you know, in the feedback. That needed to be definitely massaged, and he did a great job at that without yeah. feeling like it's constrained. It feels like it. I mean, the amount of work that is behind is probably you know um, gargantuan when it comes to how much of the, the the massaging he did with the design, but. Because it was very easy for it to go to get out of control with the you know with the absorb and the decay and, and those yeah. things you know it was yeah. very easy it's, for it to go crazy like crazy crazy not good crazy bad you exactly know? yeah not usable not feedback. fun just damaging you know yeah exactly yeah feedback has this there's you know it's like good up to a point 
And I mean, when I say good, I mean really good. And then there's a point and it's such a fine line. And once you exceed that point, it, it's, I would say it's not good. I agree with Alessandro, it's not good. And the reason is that the sound no longer has any dynamics. It just kind of becomes this, uh, this wall that you can't really influence in any way. The circuit is at that point, it's, it's, it's taken over, it's done. Um, hmm. So yeah, you kind of want to prevent it from getting to that point so that it's still more manageable and more usable and more musical. So hmm. I think it should, I obviously don't have access to a function one here in Asheville, North Carolina, believe it or not. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it sounded good on our uh, in-house. We have a big, um, well, I say big, I mean, I guess it's big compared to a set of home stereo speakers. We have a Bose PA system with the two subs and the, the sticks and stuff. It sounded good through that. Oh, but <laughs> um, yeah, no function one test yet. If, if, if uh, somebody knows how to get, um, get into a function one and wants to shoot some video. I'll sort you out. I mean, seriously, <laughs> I'll sort you I out. Would, that would be amazing. That would be a really cool video. I'm sure Mo can make that happen. Yeah, as soon as you get one over here, I'll make sure uh, I'll set up a full function one system in a warehouse and I'll just test it and send you a video. Are you serious? <laughs> that would yeah, be amazing. Make that happen. We should talk to Pete about that. That, that could be really cool. Count me in. <laughs> Uh, Jewel Noct is uh, dropping in with a question. Any plans to make a case to hold all three of the O series? I was going to ask. Together in one I'm not sure, Joel. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, this is something that, that was good. That was excellent. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> I, I, I'm more into the idea, if somebody wanted to produce a case, I'm more into the idea of giving them the mechanical drawings and stuff, the dimensions, so that they could do that. I feel like... Um, for us right now, I don't think we have the capacity to do it, but um, yeah, I mean, if, if anybody has like an idea for what they think a cool case could be, uh, I would be glad to give them the, the, the dimensions and everything, the drawing, so that they could get it right. I'm, cool. I'm curious, like when you take off your engineering hat and you go back and just making music, what's your experience being a destroyer? Have you had time to sit down and actually try to write music with it? outside of just trying to you know create a new instrument are you me yeah mo yeah you were breaking up a little bit for me there. yeah mo can you repeat sorry you were like uh for, for a second it was very muffled i was saying when you take off your engineering hat have you had a chance like as a musician's perspective to sit down and play with the instrument and create something with it write music with it outside of trying to develop a new instrument and trying to figure out what works and what doesn't i mean just literally sit there get lost and write music with it yeah yeah i have actually with strega more so than a lot of the previous make noise developments to be honest with you That's um it's it's still sitting right here to my right um this is my little uh, home studio. Um, I've got a Strega and a Zero Coast and a Zero Control and a tape and microsound music machine all right here. I've, I've, I've been recording a bunch with the Strega. I really like it. Um, I, I feel like I tend more towards the making some like prettier sounds with it. Um, I don't know why. What, what are you saying, Tony? <laughs> I'm saying you're, you're making some really ugly shit over there, man. <laughs> uh, Okay, I just wondered what you were saying. That's fine. That's cool. I don't know why. I, I, the it, I, 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 maybe I, I it's, maybe I've already turned a corner. I spent a bunch of time making really big, 
heavy drones with it and stuff and now i'm moving into using it almost uh like one of my favorite things is just to turn the that 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 interference signal up just so that it's like kind of tickling the the vco pitch and then run that and, and control it with the zero control and it just makes this uh i call it the singing saw it's actually a patch that's in the manual uh just makes this really like beautiful voice that's perfect for uh any kind of melodic content i just really like it but yeah if you if you're interested in what that sounds like you, the singing saw patch it's in the manual cool yeah i i really like those moments man when you are just um you know taking things for a spin without you know uh without the pressure to to make anything you know what i mean just mm -hmm. to explore the range of an instrument and just see you know like driving a sports car for fun you know what i mean just to see how what it does when when you take a corner like this you know and <laughs> you know the same is true for um, for instruments you know i i really enjoy sometimes just to sit down behind the synth and really sort of uh, you know hammer it and push it and see what extreme kind of territory i can go in you know and see you you know what the range is how it responds you know and just enjoy the insane kind of curves and movements and and uh, interaction with different elements of the sound uh, occur you know just 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 to enjoy it you know without any plans to make music with it yeah yeah that's that's one of the funnest thing about getting something new in your studio is is that that moment that you patch it into your your monitoring system and just take it for that first drive mm. it's, a, it's a beautiful feeling i like the i like the sort of um expansion of a lot of um you know modular brands like like uh, make noise like yourself to start releasing more self-contained instruments because as much as i like i love modular um you know uh it's it takes a lot of thought and and uh you know getting to know individual modules really well before you end up with a clear idea how they can be used together, you know, and I, I find myself always ending up with uh, smaller patches with mm -hmm. just three or four really versatile modules that complement each other really well. And in, in basically, in fact, designing an instrument, you know, in within the large range of, of stuff that is available, just keep to, the, to those um, limited amount of uh, elements and then just really explore that instead of just keep, you know, patching until you stumble upon something interesting, you know what I mean? So I like the I like the self-contained versions of, of uh, um, these modular modules basically um, a lot. You know, it's a more a sort of uh, it sort of invites you more to develop a relationship with it. You know, to have a interaction with it straight out of the box. Yeah, I can understand what you're saying. I mean, I think that is definitely. I think what you're talking about is something that. That, that attracts some people to modular and that actually is off-putting to others. Some people yeah, you, want that chase. They they want that puzzle. It's almost like a puzzle. It's almost yeah. like uh, you've got to figure out, like, how do I use all these things together? And you're right. You're basically designing an instrument every time you patch it to some degree. Um, and then where something like the Strega or the Zero Coast, uh, some choices have already been made for you. There's a framework and there is some freedom that comes with a framework as alessandro noted once we decided that this thing was going to be the same size as the zero coast it made a bunch of things come together that maybe wouldn't have happened if we hadn't made that decision by having that framework we had we had to make some serious choices it just a framework can be really positive for creativity sometimes 
but I totally know what you're saying. I, I, I find myself using my zero coast more often than um, some of my other modular stuff, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, I guess, I mean, the, I don't mind thinking about it. And, and uh, uh, I think the, the, the whole process of um, thinking about uh, a system in advance, even before you patch it in, and uh, ask yourself the question, what if, you know, what would happen if I would do this? You know, it can be a very, really good starting point mm -hmm. uh, to get stuff going, you know, just um, uh, it's like, a, yeah, we talked about this before. It's like a mental exercise, you know, you set yourself, you think about a certain patch or a certain routing or signal flow, and then uh, that can be an inspiration to start something or that can be uh, just a start point in general, you know, just to get something going. And it's half the fun, you know, just uh, thinking about what could happen is is uh, is already a very enjoy and enjoyable thing. For sure, for sure. H have you uh, have you ever looked at the uh, patch the card game? I'm trying to no. <laughs> oh, it's uh, like an oblique strategies for patch pe for people who uh, get stuck with patching or something. No it, it, it's sort of that. yeah. This is uh, <laughs> a fellow James Sigler created this, um, James, huh? and it's yeah, it's sort of like that. I mean, old yeah, school I mean, James. <laughs> yeah, yeah, James is great. Yeah, um, he's awesome. Yeah, it is sort of like an oblique strategies for modular. It, it You choose a card and it tells you to do something. A lot of times it's <laughs> things that will destroy your patch. Uh, sometimes it's things that make it better. Um, you can use it to start a patch. You can use it to expand a patch. But um, yeah, it's I, you, just what you were talking about made me think of this. I've got a few. That's awesome. I never heard of it. It's cool. Yeah, he just... He just I believe he just started printing them up. So I have a... Not, Make a I great think, stocking stuffer for Christmas. They're available. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, great great stocking stuffer. Ooh, I can't barely get this thing open. I like to there think ahead and plan my holiday gifts, you know. we got a whole yeah. year ahead of us. Yeah, so, yeah, so it's just a... You know, like here's... Um, let's see. Abstraction. Create an entire patch without listening. That's actually one of my favorite ones. I love doing that. You, you patch everything together, then throw the headphones on and listen to what you did. It's kind of, <laughs> kind of crazy. Uh, use only half the modules in your system, chosen at random. Uh, here's another one. Uh, disruption. So the cards have different. There's abstraction, dis disruption, and uh, progression. Um, choose a module and patch every connection into the rest of your patch. Uh, let's see what this one says here. Um, Unpatch all volt per active inputs. So, there, I guess you're right. It's kind of like an oblique strategy kind of mm -hmm. thing. And then from the final selection, uh, the progression. Um, tune your VCOs to a chord. Uh, let's see what this one is. Turn every attenuator down by half. So, all good advice, really. Definitely. That'll, that'll keep me busy for the next week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you should get in touch with James and, and uh, see if he has any, any more left. I, I, I know he sold out of the first run, but he, I'm sure he's going to print more at some point. Cool. Supply and demand. Mo, do you have any, uh, do you have any strategies when you, when you get stuck or need to, um, to get things going when it's not really happening? Besides banging my head up against the wall? <laughs> um, no, not necessarily. Um, I mean, I, I have a problem with, with, I think I've mentioned this before, I, I constantly tend to repeat myself in terms of patches and try to get different results. So what I've, what I've, what I've been trying to do is force myself to experiment and 
practice more outside of my comfort zone and try to do something opposite of what I'd usually do to try to break these these um, stuck moments. So it's still a, it's still a, it's still a process for me. That makes any cool. sense. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. Add reverb. Yeah. yeah Add exactly. reverb. Yeah. Just fucking throw reverb on it. It's great. Uh, Australian Records is uh, asking uh, Alessandro uh, about the track Las Figilia. Is that the right, the right pronunciation? Okay. Yeah, it's one of his favorite tracks, uh, very emotional and profound. How did this track come about? What's the story behind it? Thank you. Um, I don't remember. I mean, there's no story behind it, um, really. Um, they all came from um, the same batch of tracks, which I made um, as, as lullabies, if you want, to fall asleep on tour when I was on tour with Nine Inch Nails in 2000. 13 and 14 I think and I had a a small setup with um, an MC what was it MC202 a, a 303 and then a delay pedal and then they were going into a Bose Bluetooth speaker but you know with a line in so, so what I would do is I would just set up a sequence and I would leave it playing like you would when you get to a hotel room when you connect your phone and listen to a record essentially since we would be traveling from country to country it'd be jet lagged you want to take a nap and I would just you know I tend to fall asleep to other talk shows or or repetitive stuff and just not because out of boredom it's just because it's almost meditative in a way you know you just get in that state and and uh, that's how that track that, that you know Sona Risveglio were two records that were born in the same period um, that's what that track was part of, that sort of like therapeutic, fall asleep, lullaby-ish uh, collection of tracks that I made for myself. The way it sounds, the reason why it sounds the way it sounds, it is never a direct recording. It, it was always me walking around with, um, with a Zoom tape recorder around the room, or maybe with the windows open to the hotel room in Japan where there's a mess outside, and or you know, finding a spot in the room where that specific sequence gave me more, you know, maximum emotional connection. <laughs> like where I felt like, oh, it sounds great here. And just, I feel like, kind of like when you go to a show and you find a corner where it sounds better. You know, it's like the same exact thing. Um, and then I would so just saying let, this, let it record. So this, this, you're saying this, this whole thing is, is a mic'd uh, recording. There's no layer of original source uh, involved or anything it's all mm -hmm. mic I mean the, the, not all tracks were done the same and they were all done in different countries so I, I never kept track of you know once I since they were for immediate consumption or for you know consumption during that time I didn't really um, think about um, documented what I did simply because I was happy with the result once once you reach a goal you're not really too concerned about how you reached it because you, yeah. you reached it already and, and and so I don't I don't I mean I know that for a fact that one for a fact is you know it was pretty much I think um, there might have been an extra pedal in that one which is a vinyl um, I can't remember the name of it do I have it here no can't remember if it was going through a vinyl pedal or not. But, Anyway, uh, so yeah, it, would, it was a, the, the concept behind it was, you know, recording lullabies to fall asleep to. Awesome. Puts me to sleep. 
<laughs> good. That's what I was designed to do. And I mean that. I mean that in a good way too. I mean, it's yeah. The album in particular is is perfect for just you know reaching those deep meditative levels. Yeah, relax, not think about you know the bad yeah. stuff. Just let yourself be. Whenever you have such a, a idea and like a concept, do you stick to it until you have like a body of work that is um, presentable, or is it something you work? on in stages in between things and then collect everything you've done over the years that kind of fits the same idea how do you are you as so disciplined that you can actually finish something like that when you set yourself to it i never see what what people see and buy as a record of mine i never see as a record or as a body of work or as a something that needs to be finished just like the instrument it becomes what it is at the very end So something like Sona Risveglio, where in Sona Risveglio, they were recordings that I made for myself that Dominic Ferno from uh, Hospital Productions, uh, uh, Hospital, uh, oh my God, today is not, it's just not today. <laughs> But uh, Dominic or Prurient, he um, listened to them and he goes, we got to release this. And I was like, release what? Mm -hmm. This is just stuff that I fall asleep to. There was no idea of it being, oh, I'm going to do this record and the story is going to be, then, you know. Hospital Productions, by the way. Um, it's going to be, you know, uh, um, a record about, the story's going to be, I'm going to fall asleep to it, people going to, you know, so there was no narrative to it. It was literally, I think throughout the years, I've, I've finally been able to, to, to kind of hit the jackpot personally, where, where I find a connection. I, I'm making music for myself. I'm making music to feel better. I'm making music because it makes me feel a way that nothing else in the world makes me feel like. Uh, it fixes things that nothing else fixes. It, it, it puts me in a state that nothing else puts me into. Um, and the moment that I, I've reached this direct connection with making music is the moment that I've been able to for that music to become something that, if you want, I sell or like I, I give to people. And I think the fact that it's so purely connected to who I am and what I make it for, it translates to people listening to it. So I think mm. I think it makes it even more emo emotional for them in, in the end And so when they use it. It's kind of like, you know, if you're making a meal for your family and somebody comes over and it tries, it's like, wow, this is awesome, you know, and you bring some home. Hardly ever you're going to be able to find that specific meal at a shop or a, or a restaurant because it was made by someone who's made it for its own family with ingredients for a recipe that has been, you know what I mean? It's just something more personal and more, uh, fuck, sometimes I'm, I know I'm going to listen to this part and go like, that dude is high. <laughs> but I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm not high. But what no, I'm saying perfect, is just, makes perfect you know, sense. It's, it's very, uh, I stopped thinking about releasing a record and I'm going to, oh, fuck, I'm not going to work. I mean, the whole stress linked to making music, it's completely gone for me. Mm. Like, oh, I got to finish this record. None of that exists anymore. Mm. When it's going to, like, for example, the last year, I've been extremely lucky to being able to, you know, to, to sustain, partly sustain myself since the shows were gone with Bandcamp. But I haven't written any music Previous years, I've done music every day for myself. I recorded every day, you know, one hour, five minutes, two hours, 12 hours, whatever, you know, because I like being in the studio and just tweak stuff. You know, I would press record in my sound card, computer off, just the sound card was a, has a multi-track recorder built in. And then what happens is that, you know, three years later, you have four terabytes of music that you don't remember making for the most yeah. part. You know, and, and, uh, And so last year I spent 
the creative part wasn't making the music was to go back and go holy shit i don't i, I fucking don't remember making any of this mm. or maybe not any of it but you know there were certain things that you become surprised because they were made in such a personal enjoyable fun state of just being happy to be making music and feeling yeah. like you were doing something and then the thing is that these ideas or these concepts and some of them were flushed out you know um some of them less flushed out but they sort of gravitate next to another and they you know kind of like magnets some of them were all made on the same instrument but apart in the years some of them were my first modular experiments ever uh some were some other synthy things that i made during a weekend on a trip you know like stuff like that but they mm. all became releases you know yeah after yeah, I, the fact, I relate you know, i relate to that uh, totally man it's um it's actually the whole the whole place where i'm here is is set up just to encourage that way of working you know it's uh, it's basically you know there there's like a, a table in the middle where i build a setup for every um you know occasion basically just gathering things and the recording button is always on and whether i'm collaborating with people or just recording since just for fun it's always recording and um it basically it's uh it's in a way it's it's a little bit like taking the stress away from uh, uh having to produce something or meeting a deadline or you know thinking about your work as uh, a format you know so basically the whole concept here is just uh, document whatever is happening and then afterwards you know to see if there's anything releasable and, and it's a really liberating way I mean, everything is releasable you know i mean i don't yeah know, sure the, 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 the moment that you i think that i personally go with my stuff everything i think is releasable in the sense i wouldn't have made it if i didn't think mm. i wanted to listen to it personally you know like i stop recording if something doesn't inspire me so so i think that buffer has moved from the end of the you know recording process to the to the creation like that buffer now is at the beginning you know what i mean Can and, I and this came came it didn't come like in one day obviously but i think at the beginning you know we all grew up with the concept of demo so you grow up that like you have this great idea that makes you feel super excited about what you just made and but somehow you already know it's a demo mm. and so it was years of trying to fucking wash that concept away from myself and mm -hmm. just go no it's not written anywhere that, that the first thing is a demo you can gain confidence and build towards gaining confidence in what you write at that moment for that to become the final thing mm. It, mm. it's not written anywhere and that doesn't mean that it can't be rearranged or reworked but that's in function of how you feel about it if it doesn't satisfy you then you add to it or redo it or change the sound of course i'm not saying that you don't have to do that yeah that's what i mean when i said releasable you know it's like uh, you do a lot of things and and you gather uh, you accumulate all this material and with releasable i mean okay so you find things on your hard disk or you you have to, you remember these moments and you go back to them and um uh, yeah you kind of play the curator at some point you know okay mm -hmm. this works this doesn't work and then you find you sort of assemble it into something which is um not releasable but um can be can be enjoyed by other people the way you felt when you when you were making it you know mm -hmm. can i ask you to something sure when you when you're digging through and you found like say for example something that you recorded a year ago and you don't even remember making it mm -hmm. and you throw that up and you start playing it back are you then um i mean are you you're kind of at that point are you remixing it are you are you adding things to it or are you are you just is it just done already and you're just deciding whether or not it's Every, worth everything out all, there 
yeah, all of all of them can happen. You know, sometimes it's like, yeah, it why didn't I didn't why didn't I notice this when it happened? You know, and it's done. It's pretty much a surprise. Okay, this exists. I didn't even know about it, and it's 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 like it's fine as it is. And sometimes you find things and you think, okay, well, if I put it in this other context, or you know, I layer it with whatever, you know, makes to, you know sort of enhance the idea or something, you know, to make the idea stronger, to give it more identity or um, you know, to give it more body or whatever it can be sonically, but it can also be musically. Um, yeah, you can you can change it, uh, but you know, the, uh, I, n- I never go back to things which are uh, you know just slightly exciting. It needs to be there, you know, almost almost there. You know what I mean? Otherwise, mm-hmm. it's just, you know, I just move on to something else which is already almost there. <laughs> there's there's also the, 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 the oh sorry sorry Mo. no no go, go, on. Ahead, go ahead no I was wondering since you know, we're talking about, you know, sort of uh, making things happen in the studio. We all have our strategies and uh, we, we we have like, we use stuff which is not, was which was not intended for, for something or, uh, you know, we use happy accidents, you know, that's typical things that everybody uh, deals with who was working in the studio, right? Uh, do these things happen to you when you are working on some circuit and and uh, you stumble upon a, a functionality that might be an accident but becomes really usable later on in a, in a product yeah absolutely um like one of the things i think you have and i'm sure that i think this plays into what exactly what you're talking about as well both of you um you have to be you have to be in your case you have to be listening with very open ears to recognize that special moment and realize oh this is something that's worth hitting the record button for or this is something that's worth dredging out of the very bottom of this hard drive and and making a proper mix of it i mean when i'm yeah you just have to have your eyes open all the time you can't just use the technology the way the company that made the technology is instructing you to use it i mean sometimes you have to do that in the case of like say a power supply you kind of want a power supply to work. <laughs> but other times, and in the perfect case is with this uh, Strega, the PT2399 I see is used far outside of the suggested or, I mean, it's not even really suggested. It's a stated range. Um, I wasn't sure what was going to happen when I started applying some of the voltages that I applied to it. I thought it should be okay, but I wasn't totally certain. And in fact, I... I left the circuit powered on for several weeks just because I was concerned. Like it's not stated on the data sheet that this IC should be used in this way. So do I need to be concerned? Oh, well, you know, I'll leave it on for two weeks, make sure it doesn't you know, turn into the magic smoke. So <laughs> I it back to your original question. No, I think just kind of sometimes you do connect things wrong and sometimes you touch the end of a resistor and something happens and being receptive to that moment and saying wait that was strange why did that why did that envelope you know, re- you know why did it re-trigger three times when i touched this now, let's see let's have a closer look at this grab the scope probe and start investigating and, and start figuring out why this thing happened when you touch this other thing you know, it's not supposed to happen but it did that's the other thing textbooks lay everything out in this really neat really just wonderful way where everything is so predictable and you look at a data sheet for an IC and it's all there and it's beautiful and it's, it's very controlled and, and you feel like all is well. Then you actually start putting things into the real world and there's all these outside 
influences that can make things not work the way the data sheet said it should work. And so you also have to work with those things too. Sometimes they're good things and sometimes they're battles that you have to fight to, in order to get to the end result. But yeah, I think yeah, it's, it's very similar to what you're talking about. My social life. What, what was that? Sometimes mom? they're goodles, sometimes they're battles. <laughs> I said it's a striking resemblance to my social life. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Um, oh, thanks. Alessandro, do, when you bring those, when you dredge up those tracks off that hard drive, are you, are you ever adding things to them? It sounds, it sounds like... Uh, um, uh, I keep wanting to call you Speedy J, but I guess it's just Joachim, right? Joachim, yeah. Joachim, but okay. yeah, whatever you want. <laughs> uh, so you know what, I gotta, it sounds like I you don't... do add things sometimes, and you do actually almost remix a track sometimes. But I have a feeling Alessandro is just, it's done and done. Or is it not? Yeah, I'm looking now. I'm, yeah, most of the work, yes. Uh, most of the work that I do to them is just to make them, you know, they might have been done in different periods of my life in different studios. So at the end, I want them to, you know, to feel like they're part of the same It's like a you know a good meal. Like you might go to a restaurant and you get served a fresh organic you know, let's say steak if you eat meat, whatever you know. But it's paired to you know like a, with a, like a pickled stuff that has been pickled for years, and then you get this wine from 1978 or something like you know like these elements are all from different years, but together they make this meal that makes sense. The, they're all presented in a way that it doesn't matter. You're not drinking the wine in, a, you know, in, the, in the cellar. You're not, you know, you're not eating the beef off the cow. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's all presented. So the idea of the record is to sort of, it's like the last layer of paint that makes them all belong. You know, yeah. they already belong because they, obviously there's a common thread to me at least. But then, you know, the artwork, the titles, the names, they all it all consolidates you know uh, them into one tangible consumable size product and i hate to say product but you know <laughs> jesus i'm starting to feel I like i'm the only idea. one who goes back and listens to things that i've recorded that i've forgotten think to myself like what the fuck was i thinking this is just absolute <laughs> garbage <laughs> i mean i'm not saying they're all good all i'm yeah, saying is yeah, right. that, but you, you you know it's all different like for example you know I went back. The first thing that I released was this thing called Prima Cosa, which means first things in Italian. And it's the first modular stuff that I recorded in 2001 or 2002. I can remember when I got my first modular, um, which was um, an analog systems system, right? And uh, that's a fraction of the things that I found. Some of them blew me away. Because, you know, at the time, I was still coming from being a songwriter and having a band. So you're thinking about, you know, spending eight minutes on a sequence and changing a few knobs as something that eventually you're going to grab a, a loop and use that in a song. You're not going to use those eight minutes. But, you know, Alessandro now goes back to that and goes, holy shit, I kind of knew already when I wanted where I wanted to go back then in this track. Then obviously there's other ones who like there's I think there's one that is like fifteen minutes of ring mod and it's like, you know, yeah, it's a ring mod. Stop. <laughs> you know? So there's yeah, there's stuff that but I would never I never go back going that's I mean I, you always have to put it in contest, I think. You know, you go back and see um this was an exploration period or I was trying to learn how this instrument worked or I was trying to emulate somebody else. Or, you know what I mean? 
I think yeah, it's but, but, uh, the, I, I, I try to be healthier when I now when I go back to my stuff instead of being critical about it because it has a it has a place. It's always creativity, so it comes from a place that it's not. I don't think it. it I don't think it deserves criticism, in general. No, but it's the the process you describe. Like uh, you say, uh, this comes from uh, trying to learn a certain instrument or something. Um, you know, maybe that was the mindset when, I mean, this is, I recognize this happens to me, you know, the mindset would be, okay, I'm going to explore what this thing can do and I'm not going to do anything fancy with it musically, but then because you're not thinking about it, um, really interesting things happen, you know, yeah. musically also, also sometimes too, you know, so it's, yeah, because um, you're playing so, around, so you have yeah, fun. exactly. You're very intuitive. You're just um, you know, acting in the moment and and not really thinking about things. And and a lot of beautiful things were made by people who were not really thinking about what they were doing. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. But to me, it was more like what, what Mo was saying because he says it goes back to his stuff, and it kind of feels uh, I don't know how you said it, but not too happy about listening to some of the old stuff. And that happened to me a lot with like when I was listening to my like demos or songs where I was singing or stuff like that, simply because, A, um, I know that I wasn't a good singer or that that would, would have been, you know, a, a creative path that I, that I would have followed later on. But now I'm able to go back to it and see it, well, that was simply another tile on the road, you know what I mean? Of, of where of where I'm going, and it's not like I arrived anywhere yet. I mean, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing where I'll go. You know, fuck it, I'm gonna grow in a beer. I'm probably gonna get acoustic guitar and I'll be fucking Cat Stevens from now on. From <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, you, you don't know. Uh, but what I'm saying is, it, it, I feel much better about where I've been if I see it as a step of where I'm going or where I've where, where I've come now and where I'll be going. It's it's less frustrating because I remember feeling like Mo is saying, going back to some of my stuff, like, holy shit, this sounds like, fuck. I hope no one finds this you know or listens to it now it's just you know i ask myself sometimes yeah i ask myself sometimes is it from in my case is it um uh a lack of courage you know or a lack of discipline that i i really enjoy making music just uh you know in a way that i'd go with the flow and just uh having fun in improvising um you know is this something that i do because i uh, i just I'm not bothered to just spend slaving over something and working, working really hard to make it into something which it is not, you know? Um, well, I mean, you see, that, I that's know. the thing. If you're good at it, I mean, the thing is, most people that do something and work hours on something to make it sound a certain way, if you ask them, they're not going to tell you, I worked my ass off of this record, ever. It came natural mm. to them. They had it in their mind slowly, and there was a process they would have gone through whether you liked it or not. Because that's what it took for them to manifest what they want to. I'm not mm. saying it was pleasant, but they'd go, you know, like, if, if talking about designing the instrument, I don't think, even though there were ups and downs, I don't think Tony will tell you it was a stressful period. I think we both could say it was a very positive process. But it was a lot of work. It was three years, you know? It's a lot mm. of time, off and on. Obviously, we all had other things. Now, if it would have been... Um, a toxic or not ideal environment to work on comparable to having to chisel a record to make it sound what you know you think you want and it becomes a stress mm. then it wouldn't have been the same you know it would have been a st stressful situation the result would have been different i mean i think the complexity is always seen from the outside world looking in 
as uh, as sacrifice. But when it's a natural step, like to you, I mean, some people will look at you and hear the stuff that you do live and go, how the fuck does he do that live? How can he come up with so many things on the spot? But to you, it comes natural because it's, far, it's part of your creative process, you know. Mm. But you look at people that spend, you know, 48 hours a day, you know, tweak, tweaking a kick drum or, you know what I mean? Like, or layers of, with fucking 55 kick drums or, you know what I mean? Like stuff like that, which I'm not trying to talk shit about. I'm just saying it's alien to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to them, it's just a way of being, you know, it's just, that's what's required for them to feel good about the things, you know, like. No, yeah, right. I, th- I think that's the beauty of it. I mean, at the end mm-hmm. of the day, I mean, I think we were so handicapped by the fact that, that, that there's, a, there's a business and there's a need to make a living with what we do at the end of the process. Because if it would be a fact where we didn't have to pay the bills not to make any money and it all be like we make music for ourselves, the output would be completely different all the time. It would be, mm-hmm. There wouldn't be any immediate afterthought of what this is going to become product-wise. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think that influences, it, it's become so much, it's been coming up like a salmon going up the river. You know, it's been coming up earlier and earlier now that it's there from the moment you sit down to fucking come up with an idea. Yeah. And especially nowadays where your outcome, your, your product is going to bring back much less than it used to. And we can't play shows. Now we're completely fucked for lack of better, you know, description. So you might as well enjoy yourself. <laughs> so you might as well do right. stuff that makes yeah. you happy because at the end yeah. of the day, you are the only one that can make you happy as you can with music yeah. the way you do. And I think it's a, the fact that you're able that, that you're able to be creative, making music and feeling good about it. It's such a unique and very peculiar, you know, gift to have, not as in talent. I'm just saying to be able to create something for yourself, whether it's painting, whether it's cooking, whatever it is, creative, creativity. Creativity should never be in function of money. Money should be a consequence of creativity, independent of what the creativity is. You know what I mean? Certainly. Certainly. Ideally, obviously, you know. That's very well put. It's it's well put and it's it's very true and I feel exactly the same, but... um, you know, uh, we are in the position, you know, to after all the, uh, you know, like the long road to get there and in a position that you still make are able to make a living, even though it's, uh, you know, we, we're not doing shows or anything. But I feel it's uh, it's still privileged, you know. Oh, of course. I mean, I, I'd be silly not to tell you, you know, that, you know, ears with nine inch nails or wouldn't allow me to have a, you know, a, a stage that allowed me to make music the way that I wanted to. But also, I cannot tell you how things that would have been different. Mm. I can't. Because True. that's yeah. not how it went. What I can tell you is that it came a point where also I left that band because I didn't feel like it was good for me at the time, uh, where I decided that years and years that I spent making a band or making music under Modwell Mood or Gift, whatever the names of the bands were, that it wasn't where I wanted to be after I invested so much money and creativity into them. And that I built a studio that it was perfect and I spent days just pressing the space bar and see that everything would sync up and make no music until I took a piece out of there, put it on the floor and started making music under a skylight and that became, you know, uh, the Forces series and just making music for myself. When I made that connection of making music for myself, that opened the gates, really. And uh, it wasn't like, oh, fuck, this is the thing I'm going to release. This is what, this is going to be, I'm just going to be Alessandro Cortina and just going to, no. It was just, it was actually a funny story. I, I kind of make these things on on, uh, on the easel and then the label I was interested in releasing it on was uh, Cranky because, you know, 
Tim, Tim Hacker was on it, Belong, which were, you know, two of the, some of the artists that I related the most at the time were on that label. And Cranky at the beginning was interested, and then they sort of dragged me along for years. You know, they made me edit the stuff in a certain way. And, you know, the easel pieces were long, you know, they just, because they felt right long, they made me edit them down to like song length and then less of them. And, and then decided not to release them. He said, no, it's not for us. I don't think it's good enough or whatever the fuck he said. Um, Ezra Bukla, Don's son, was at my place one day and um, I played them, played him some of the stuff. And he said, well, you should play it to John at Important Records. And I said, well, that's cool. I, I, I didn't know who he was. I mean, I knew Important Records that had, you know, Elian Radig and, you know, these names that are like, yeah, right, he's going to release my stuff. Um and then that night, I won an auction for an Alan Strange synthesis book, right? So I went to pay, and uh, the PayPal address was John at Important Records. <laughs> so I bought it from John. That's crazy. So that I told him, hey, man, the same night, I want that auction. And I still have, Take actually, the, I saved the, the PDF of the page. Um, and so I sent him a message saying, hey, here's the money. I know, I hope it's not inappropriate to talk about this. It's <laughs> kind of swing my demo, like a demo tape while I'm paying for an auction. <laughs> well, I paid pretty good for the book. So I think he would have given a listen out of, you know, politeness. But uh, moral of the story is that he loved the stuff, asked for more. And instead of adding, you know, like a 35-minute edited record out on a label, he said, no, no, I completely agree. It should be a double record and we should do a series. So it became three double records in the end, you know, and now we're working towards doing a box set and, you know, um, and, and whatnot. So all I'm saying is that it was never a plan. I just, and I hate to sound so new agey because everybody could go, well, yeah, I mean, it was Nine Inch Nails. It's easy to be new agey when, you know, no, there was a time where I wasn't. And we are in Nine Inch Nails only when we tour. The four years we don't do anything. It's, you know what I mean? It's not, it's, it's not work. We're not making money. You know, it's not, oh, they're just, you know. They're just there. They're just there in a, you know, in a bathtub full of money and <laughs> they don't care about what happens in the world. No, we're, you know, just, you got to find stuff style. to do. You know, <laughs> you got to, yeah, exactly. You got to find stuff to do. Uh, but it came out of a personal need. I realized that I felt better making music that way. And then things started moving that way, just like with the hospital productions, with Dominic listening to the stuff that I made for me to fall asleep. You know what I mean? And he wanted to release it. When he said that he wanted to release it, to me it was almost like, release what? It's, you know, it's, it's such a personal thing. Not that I was afraid, I just didn't make the connection. And that's where it, that's where it really clicked for me. And that was sort of, sort of like the record where I started playing shows proper, you know, um, on, on the Sono album. And then moved to Berlin and then, you know, and then everything, and then here we are. <laughs> Awesome. Wise words. I don't know about so, that, but sorry. I like <laughs> How long me. was that? 45 minutes? <laughs> no, it was like barely five minutes, man. Tony, <laughs> I'm curious as to like what, what your history is with music and writing music and um, and your process, if, if you still find time amongst running Make Noise to actually focus on your own stuff and, and you know, do your thing. Yeah, I played him. I, I mean, I... I played him. I'm, I'm a I'm a kid. I'm like probably all of you all. I just I I got into music at a really young age, um, and I, I played in bands and and uh, and we toured, um, not so successfully, obviously, um, 
And then there was a point I was living up in New York City and and um, Kelly asked me what, you know, what did I want to do? What, what was what was the job that I wanted to do? And I said, well, I, I want to work for a company that makes analog synthesizers. And she said, well, where are that? And that, at that time, I don't even know if DSI was open yet, but it was just Bo- Mookla, uh, Moog or Bukla. So I called both Bogue places. Mookla. <laughs> yeah, it was Mookla. <laughs> not, not so well-known company anymore. Um, but uh, yeah, I guess what I'm saying is like, I, 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 yeah, I played music a lot. And then once, uh, once I got into the whole, the industry of making musical instruments, um, for a long time, especially when Make Noise started. I mean, really, when Make Noise started, I just couldn't find the time to make music anymore as much. And it, it became really hard because it was a lot of work, especially in the first, like, six, seven years. It was six, seven days a week, you know, eight to 12 hours a day. So by the time that was all done, I, I just wanted some silence, honestly. So I was <laughs> not making music at all. Um, Tony, what I, what what I'm wondering, um, since you're doing, since you have a, you know, quite a lot of experience making music, and now are an instrument maker, are you? I think it's extraordinary. You can you can switch or flip between the sort of right brain, left brain kind of activities with with um, so easily. I mean, um, I think most people are either or. You know what I mean? Like they mm-hmm. they either have like the brain to think of things systematically and, and more mathematically and stuff and and uh, yeah and other people are more on the sort of creative side you know what i mean so how do, can you switch easily between them or are, are you can you do both still it, it is hard it is it, it does get harder to, it does get hard to do it um but in the last year i've been making music again a lot more like all the time and i'm I'm really enjoying that but now it's being it's getting harder to jump back into the more system i guess uh um the engineering mind um but it's not totally impossible i mean to be honest with you a lot of times during the design process at least for me a lot of that is making music i mean it's and it's making music more in the way that you all are talking about where you know, you're talking about you have this table where you just pull a bunch of stuff down off the shelf and start playing it in and see see where you go. Um, when you're testing a circuit or developing a circuit, a lot of times I'm making music with it for too long. Honestly, sometimes I look and I realize, oh my god, I was supposed to get all these things done today. I was supposed to get this this bomb edited, and I was supposed to capture this part of the schematic, and it's already four o'clock, and I've just been playing with this circuit for the last four hours (laughs) and sometimes that's good because that helps you understand it better and come up with ideas for how to make it better or just ideas for how to explain it to people but sometimes you really do you really should stop playing and actually get the work done that you need to get done so that things can be built and and created for musicians like yourself so um, but it is, it is, it is. I think it is a, a trick to flip that switch between those two worlds. They, there is some crossover too, though. I, I believe there is some crossover, and and um, I think thinking like a musician can help you develop things that musicians can get more out of. If you just think purely from an engineering standpoint, I mean, I think the number one goal a lot of times is to get the maximum power from any given technology. You know, what's the latest, greatest technology and how can we maximize its potential is a very 
I think, a very modern way or a very engineering way of looking at something. Um, whereas from a musical perspective, you might be think, trying to think, well, how can I present this technology in the way that's the most inspiring and, and, and fun and, and um, inviting, most musical way to present this technology? So I guess those are two pretty different things and kind of got to have a foot in both. So yeah. that's, in that's definitely interesting. Yeah. Yeah, because, yeah, you want to end up with something that is enabling people. <laughs> oh, question from Catfax. You want to get into that, Tony? No, I, I mean, it's funny because they, it's, uh, there's a, a fellow... Uh, Goddamn idiots. Suit, suit and tie guy. <laughs> has, uh, had, so had, good. I remember a long time ago, uh, the first time I met him, he had asked me if... Uh, he said, why did you call your company Make Noise? You've already got the perfect name for a synth company. Rolando. And I thought, oh, man, that would be a mess. <laughs> I can see the T-shirts. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Just a Roland, like the old... Roland logo and then just, oh, with a Sharpie. Yeah, straw, Sharpie. yeah right, right, yeah. Awesome. Well, um, guys, we're nearing the two hours. Uh, usually we, um, uh, we can continue if you want, but usually near the two-hour mark, we uh, give people a little opportunity to promote the stuff they're doing or to talk about the things that have, they've got coming up that they want people to know about. Um, maybe we should get into that and start with Mo. Mo, <laughs> what's up? What are you doing? Anything we... Uh, uh, just chiseling away at the next Belief Defect album, as a matter of fact. Um, yeah, that video you sent me, man, that set was, the, of the set, you know, the, yeah. that was astonishing. It was really good. Really enjoyed yep. that. The reactor guys um, restreamed um, our last belief defect performance from Catharsis Festival on their channel. It's still up there for for um, archived. If anyone wants to go to the reactor YouTube channel and check it out, but um, yeah, it was the last time I was in the studio with Luis was almost a year to date, and you know we worked. I would say half the album was finished, and we thought, well, you know, the other half should be fairly easy you know, through this pandemic to work online together and try to get this hashed out. But it's actually proven to be more challenging. Um, because to, of the distance? Yeah, just because of the distance. Yeah. I mean, we set up like an online environment with Discord where we can kind of communicate with each other, share each other's screens and ideas, but the chemistry is missing. And mm. like, you know, the way we work together and, and the process, um, it just hasn't been the same, but we've been chiseling away at it and it's been fun. Um, definitely learned a lot of new techniques and we're getting closer and closer to the end. So I don't have anything to um, announce in the immediate, but um, I hopefully by the end of this year, this album is going to be released and finished. So in really pipeline. excited for that. Yeah. Nice man. Looking forward to that one. Yeah, man. Cool. Um, and Tony, obviously we're talking about Strega. Anything else you've got coming up? Because isn't is Nam now or is it already just been there? What is it? Nam just happened, yeah. Just it, happened, it yeah. Just happened. Yeah, there wasn't much to it this year though, um, just because it was it was a virtual only. Yeah. But um, yeah, the Strega is a big thing for Make Noise. Um, and uh, I myself have a, a couple of, uh, of uh, records coming out this year too. One was going to come out on... Uh, uh, a label called Adventures that's run by Rob Lowe and uh, Rose. Um, cool. I guess it's, it's an imprint. Uh, that's great. Um, yeah, so I'm excited about that. And then uh, another one I just uh, got mastered. It, I just got the masters back today. 
I don't know how I'm going to release that. Maybe just put it on a Bandcamp page or something. It's all pretty new to me, so I haven't made any music in about at least 12 or 13 years. So I, I don't. It, things have changed a lot since then. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's that. That was like those are the things that I'm excited about. The Straga. Yeah, it must be exciting if it's such a being in such a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. So the Straga and making some music. That's, that's that's pretty much. I mean, that's a lot. So I'm excited about that. I want to add some public pressure and, and remind you to keep the Make Noise label running. Keep making records. That was actually such a good idea, man. <laughs> you know, having people, you know, sending people the uh, instrument and then having them uh, perform and and release those recordings. It's 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 a, such a it's a really nice idea. It's almost awesome. That's what yeah, you're talking I, about, I, right, Mo? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I agree. It was it uh, the record label became a lot of work. Um, and so that's that's the reason why we we put it on pause. Um, it just it got to the point. I mean, it's just I I mean, as you know, putting out records is it's a lot of work, and we it was juggling that, and then the company, which was basically paying for the whole thing because the records weren't really generating that that much income because the quantities were pretty low, um, so they weren't really even paying for themselves. So it was like this thing of of like which one do we do, and it kind of fell to the wayside, I guess. Uh, Mo had mentioned maybe restarting it as a Bandcamp page, which which could be fun. Um, yeah, or, just, or sell them as USB sticks or whatever. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. cheaper to mail. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't know. No, it's good. It's good. It was a really great idea. Um, cool. So, uh, any dates for the release? I think the one on on uh, Adventures is in March, and then the other one, I, I don't know. I got the masters back. I was. There's this artist that I found that I really liked their art. I was gonna have them do some art and, and um, I guess just put it on YouTube or something. I don't know how things, honestly, I don't know how things work. So <laughs> I'd probably just, I mean, some people say YouTube's a bad place to put music, I don't know. I kind of just want to put it out there and let people check it out. If you just want to get, you know, if you just want to make it discoverable or findable, you know, then YouTube is probably a good yeah. one, you know, because it's a search engine basically, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I personally don't use YouTube, but I guess that's the other thing. I but the kids it, do exactly like people use it. I don't use it, but people use it. Um, but yeah. I also don't use. I want to. I it's funny. I buy stuff on Bandcamp all the time, but I very rarely actually use the Bandcamp app. So I struggle with that too. It's like mm. I have all these Bandcamp releases that, but I don't play them enough because I don't. The app doesn't work super well on my phone, so I end up not <laughs> listening to them as much as I would like to. I think it's time to upgrade the phone. <laughs> maybe that is true yeah. <laughs> that could be part of it i don't know <laughs> it's great that you're supporting the artist though yeah yeah for sure i mean it's yeah and i understand Bandcamp is great in that way it does it's kind of crazy i guess uh alessandro was talking about they have now like a, a direct to vinyl thing where yeah. if enough people support a release then they'll print a record of it i mean i mm -hmm. don't know what the quality of the records is but i mean that's kind of an amazing concept yeah yeah, I'm interested cool. to see what, what what they pull out with that as well. Do any of you know anyone who's who's? Have you bought a record like that yet? No, no actually, no. we make them. <laughs> We've got a vinyl room here, and all the stuff that is uh, like uh, everything. We we basically the store is about documenting whatever happens in this room, right? So, um, the idea is just to uh, stay, you know, get away from having to press your 1,000 or 500 copies and break even and stuff like that, you know, 
Um, so we got a lathe and uh, we we sell anything that I think is interesting to have on vinyl or that I want to have on you know a physical medium, like having it in your hand, you know, and putting it on yourself. We just got them and uh, we got it to vinyl to a maximum of 50 copies. So it's really, really small quantities, but it also allows you to basically release anything that is you know you don't have to think about oh i need to have this a side because it needs to sell to a certain crowd or whatever you know you can just release whatever the fuck you want and it's a really liberating thing and you know stuff that gets dismissed sometimes because you don't find the right place for it or you think you know it might not be speaking to a wide audience you can still if you if i think it's precious you know i still release it you know what i mean so um that's the solution we got <laughs> And it works. It's great. Yeah, yeah. So, Alessandro, anything you want to make people aware of apart from the, the synth? Ah, uh, well, there's new music coming out, and there'll be another record soon. Um, a mute. Um, Mid year, I believe. And um, more more Bandcamp. Bandcamp. And the force of box set is hopefully we're going to finish it and release it soon i mean it's finished it really i'm responsible for it being late because it's i just couldn't find certain files and and you know like the last year has been a a bummer for everyone and both generally speaking and personally so it's just it kind of slowed me down and doing a lot of things um and then the move but um just making music, you know, and aside from that, I'm working on, um, on a video game score and, um, and on a little movie, a little movie. <laughs> a movie. Uh, nice I can't one. talk about it either, but, uh, I'm keeping, I'm keeping busy. It's fun. I really, really enjoy the video game. Uh, to be honest, I've been a gamer. I mean, I was born, you know, in the seventies, grew up in the eighties and I have two thumbs. So of course I've been a gamer all my life and, 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 um, and it's been such a, cool thing to make music for video games and i was um, you know lucky enough to work with my friend alan johannes on the on the ubisoft game uh, ghost recon together and we did the score for that norm block as well and um i've worked on stuff for um, for sony uh, and um, some other stuff we did a trailer with ben frost for another video game um, and i just like the, the idea of video game music since it's so independent to uh, to the way the, the player plays the game as opposed to scoring, which is something a little bit more fixed and or- orchestrated, not orchestrated, but like or- or- arranged for a specific length. And with today's technology, the music that you write is, a you know, gets arranged in real time according to the playing style. So a, a lot of the times I'm writing moods or writing things that then will be mixed by the game itself while the player plays it, you know. And I think that's extremely exciting because it makes you write in a completely different way. Yeah, it does. So. Is there a way you can check yourself how the possible combinations would would? Uh, no, you kind of know about them, you know. Like you discuss with the designer, with the you know lead designers about what what they want to to achieve. You know, the way that it works right now is like you know give me references. Sometimes it's my own music as reference in specific levels. I kind of get the vibe and I say, all right, so this is the multi track. These are the parts that I have. I think when you have this kind of mood coming, you could bring in this bus or this stem. Mm. And then they might say yes, but maybe can you do it this way or that? Then there's a back and forth, but it's a very common ground to to discuss. You know, it's it's a lot of fun. 
um, I find it, um, I don't know if I would, yeah, definitely I find it more exciting than, than scoring. I haven't scored many movies, so I, I can't tell you, but I, I, it's less daunting. It, it feels more like it's my field, my playing field, where I feel so where I can be it's more myself. You it's know. essentially making a library then, more than uh, scoring. No, you're still making compositions. I mean, it really depends what 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 a library is. I mean, a library is something that someone else would use, you know, to make music. You mm -hmm. know, it's not necessarily what a video game will. I mean, you st it's still your music being presented, so it's not uh, it's not really a library per se. Um, and no, but uh, a I mean library, like a it's not made of elements that needs to be, you know, linked together. It's just yeah, okay. separate elements. It's more like multi-tracks that get remixed and remixed over and over and over according to what the player is doing. So, for example, um, say it's like, again, like Ghost Recon, for example, right? There's parts where you're just exploring a, an enemy base and there's a specific stealthy music going on. And then one of the soldiers sees you from afar, right? So there's an element of... Uh, awareness that's where a certain element that we recorded comes in or maybe a sequence is a little you know yeah. a, a little darker or a little bit more like sinister you know or something like that, that that hints that something has changed you know what i mean and then once you know combat is triggered other elements like real drums might be coming in or other things might be coming in or like whatever the synth part that i recorded was now it gets doubled and going through chorus and it's like stereo in your face you know what i mean like things like that but these elements if you were to play them all at the same time it'd be a super busy multi-track the software is mixing them in real time and the orchestrator or the director is the player essentially unconsciously obviously because it's function of its playing style because it used to be where you know, if you played the game that I played and you'd be on a specific level, you could be on that level for five minutes, I could be on that level for seven minutes, and then if the piece of music was five minutes, then it would just loop, you know? Hmm. It was just like scoring, but instead of being a fixed scene, if you, you know, if you were stuck in a level, then you just hear the same thing over and over. That's why sometimes I still wake up in the middle of the night with like <laughs> some old video game, <laughs> you know, from when I grew up in my mind, because like, I just spent too much time on that one. <laughs> And now the cool thing is that, you know, the software um, allows the music to be, I don't want to say elastic, but to be, uh, to, to be arranged in real time. So you would get a score different from mine from that specific level. You would get a different soundtrack that is uh, tailored to your, to your gameplay style. And I think that's very, um, very interesting. And uh, there's a question asking if I will be using Strega on this. I've been using Strega on everything mm. since I got the prototype. So... Yeah, I think you used it on another game soundtrack already, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, it's, you know, it's not, a, you know, hard to understand. It's an instrument that was designed to a certain extent for me or for what I like to get out of stuff. So to me, it, it's the first thing I get to. I mean, right now my setup is fairly, I don't want to say basic, because it's still very, very, you know, deep instruments, but I have a Strega and a No Coast, uh, and then they're right next to a Waldorf um, Iridium, or Quantum, depending on the day, but, and the Strega goes through the output, the input of the Iridium, and sometimes it's just bounced, you know, not bounced, but going direct into the, into the sound card that way. Sometimes I sample the Strega into the Iridium, and then I can do some, you know, like a granular stuff, or just simply mangle it even more if i want to but 
It also allows me to build a library on the on the quantum of, of personal sounds based on the Strega stuff, which is which is great, you know. I'm so really this, impressed with your um, with your capacity to keep a secret for three years. I, I never <laughs> heard of. Well, it wasn't a, in our you know like well I can't really say anything on our group because you know first time you say something and Richard is involved. Oh, Richard yeah. Devine is going to talk about it right away. <laughs> You can't. Richard is like a child in that point of view. It's like it's so excited. It's actually it's very enviable. Is uh, excited how he gets excited about stuff. Because sometimes I'm like, "Fuck, man, I don't know how you do it." Because I feel tired just looking at that piece of gear. <laughs> just looking at it, I feel tired. It tires me. Take some knobs out. Yeah. Take the screen off. I get anxiety. Like some of the stuff that he does. It's like, man, I I I need I need a Xanax. Yeah. He's some you, of the man. gear, like some of the gear that Richard is able to, you know, to approach and just be creative with. Yeah, he's yeah. a cyborg for sure. He is he's just uh, a different level. Yeah, he is definitely in. in he has a, a level of uh, of curiosity that um, that is un. You know, I'm fa I'm phased by by anxiety. <laughs> yeah, like it's, I'm it's curious, but then ending. there's like anxiety, yeah. like a you know, like a you get door doorman, like a security he goes, no, wait. No, hold on. No, you can't stop there. Stop there. Anxiety. No, you're not dressed like that. You create, no, you can't. <laughs> hey, Alessandra, is the Bandcamp stuff going to be more of what you were talking about earlier, where you're you're going through your these these old yes yes there's uh, there's 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 lots and lots of more stuff that uh, that I'd like to to release. Um, I still don't know if there'll be one coming out this Friday or not because I haven't had the chance to go to all. I also don't know if I just want to release it to release it. It's not the point. I mean, if I have something that I feel like makes sense with the stuff that I released already, then then I will release it. But um, I have a few releases ready to go um, that can go on Bandcamp. I just don't know if it's the right time or not, you know. Awesome. We'll keep an eye out, man, for sure. Um, yeah, I think uh, unless anybody has some urgent things to drop in, uh, I think um, we should call it a day. Otherwise, the yeah. audio will be too long to turn into a podcast because we have mm -hmm. limited space. <laughs> it was great, uh, guys. Thank you so much for having yeah, me. I mean, it was you. a pleasure. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, uh, I learned a lot like on every episode uh, talking to inspiring people. It's a, it's a real pleasure to have you on. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks for um, I have to be a fly on the wall today. <laughs> Sorry, Mo. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, you're welcome back anytime, man. You know of that. Of course. <laughs> uh, I'll do just one more housekeeping shout out, and that's uh, I want to make people aware of our Discord server, which is becoming this really nice community of uh, music makers, uh, people who are. Um, <laughs> Richard. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll, I'll let you answer the question. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I wish I could just go down to Atlanta and give it to you. I don't. I. I, uh, I don't. I don't know. That's Look at the pressure. Look at the pressure, man. <laughs> Patience, Richard. Patience is an is a it's a virtue. <laughs> uh, anyway, so our Discord server. Have a look there if you're interested in in conversations like this. You know, it's a bunch of knob twiddlers hanging out talking about making music. Uh, technology, inspiration, whatever. It's a really nice uh, place to be if you're interested in this kind of stuff. And the other thing I want to make people aware of is our Patreon page, um, where you can just uh, drop in to support us. Or if you want to get some goodies out of it, we have some sound packs and 
masterclasses and stuff like that. So um, yeah, I encourage people to have a look there. The, I think the links should be in the comments by now. Uh, and um, yeah, that's pretty much it, guys. Thanks again. Really Cheers. great to have you. Um, yeah, and Richard just has to wait for his uh, stray guy, I guess. I <laughs> well, at this point, we're, 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 we're not going to send one. I mean, at this I point. About he that. blew it. He blew it. <laughs> no, now it's just, it's now it's enjoyable. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I mean, I don't have anything to do. Hey, that's the company. I'm in Portugal. Yeah. So that's I'm in Portugal. <laughs> hey. All right. Okay. Okay, guys. Thanks Bye, a lot. Bye, guys. Ciao, ciao.